they're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Bonjour, David Hellard. How are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, I was going to say I'm French, but I'm not. Is that racist doing a French accent? I I think because we haven't uh, persecuted the French. Mm, have we? Mm, yeah, it wasn't French much accent. of a fight, do they? It was actually yeah. French, so it was okay. Um, I'm good. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm all right because the sun's starting to shine a bit, even if it is snowy outside. But um, we now intro what's coming up in the episode. And if you've not read the subject matter, we are speaking to Nikki about hormone replacement therapy and the menopause. It's completely enlightening to, uh, well, hopefully most people, but especially to me. So that's coming up. Not much more to say about that because we just talk about everything there is to talk about. But, um, is, that, is that what you do now? At the beginning, you say what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we we do just because I've listened to a few other podcasts. It's in case anyone starts listening to us and just can't face listening to us more, and and therefore leave before they get the opportunity to listen to the guest, who's normally far more informed, far more entertaining, and uh, why they're actually here. So it's, right, I it's like a way. Yeah, it's a way forward. Yeah. Well done. Exactly. We're kind of trying to we're, we're, we're trying to sell them on what's coming a little bit more. But, um, but they, they won't tune out for this one because I'm here. So exactly. Yeah. So we, I didn't even. So I've just wasted your time, all our time, by doing that. Then. So oh, oh. chop it out. Chop it out. <laughs> anyway, Ali, you've been telling me you've just been running around in the snow. Oh, so it's um, so glorious up here. I'm in Yorkshire, where I live now, and uh, we've got loads of snow. And all up on the Wolds Way, it's where they do the Hardmoors races. Literally, I come out my door and I'm on the Hardmoors routes, and it's real hilly. And the snow is like, in some places, it's about a foot and a half deep where the drifts will come in. And it's just so lovely. It's like running through Narnia. So, yeah, I've been going out and doing some big snowy miles, thinking, oh, I'll get ready for my trip to the Arctic Circle in three, in three or four weeks. It's not going to happen. Uh, but you know, it's 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 just nice to be out running in something else. And also today's been real sunny as well, so it's been like being Switzerland. It's it was glorious, utterly glorious. Do you go out in your full? Do you go out in your full kit then from um, from your times in Mongolia? And no. do you now? <laughs> no, I just put my leggings on, put my shoes on. Put, I've got these really actually plug Black Diamond sent me some uh, micro spikes. They're really good. They've got like a they've got like a toe cover so like normal micro spikes they've got like a rubber band but they just sit on the bottom of your shoe but these ones have like a toe cover that's waterproof so keep your feet real warm as well Ooh. and they've got a little pulley thing to pull them on at the back so you don't get your fingers caught and you can take them off real quick and they're so good how spiky are they they are if anyone's ever used katula spikes they're pretty aggressive they're the ones i use on the isolated mongolia they're really aggressive like football boot aggressive but these ones are, I think, more UK. So, like, sort of think Wales, Scotland in the winter. Um, they're they're rubbish if you're going to be mud because they just clog. But if you've got, like, thick packed ice, which we've got up here because it's been snowing and people have been walking and then packing it down, um, or deep snow, they're just so brilliant. And, like, it's quite funny because, you, you know, the occasional time I see dog walkers, like, I was running down a hill, a real steep hill yesterday, and it was just everyone had been sledging on it. So it was real shiny. 
and these women were just staring at me and I was like hi and they were like oh my god we thought we were gonna have to catch you how are you running down that hill like we're sliding up it and I'm just like these bikes are amazing and even like going out because I live in a village just going down to the shop all the all of the pavements are like proper hard packs but you just whack those on over the top of your shoes and trot down the shop and everybody's like are you a magician and you're like no and can you do they come in a a protective case so that you you don't rip everything up when you take them off yeah they come in a little bag um like a nice little bag so you take them off and then you dry them off and then give them a wash to get the salt off and then uh stick them in the bag and put them away because i love running in spikes in cross country but the it, it's so rare that you'd be able to go for any run any any of the runs i've previously done where i might use spikes you always have to go on road or on some kind of heavy pack um underneath where you're just going to blunt anything you wear anyway oh, no, so you can just whip, whip these off like they've got the little they literally fit around your shoe and then you can just whip them off so when i get to the road section towards my house i just take them off um take the little bag with me stuff them in the bag put them in my pocket and it's done so why, why do you think no one's come up with those or just lugged i guess so say you're doing cross a more of a trail race yeah because that's actually given that you're miss rat race that was always one of the challenges with rat race races is that often you'd be yeah yeah, because you can run on roads you're suddenly then on you can be going up snowden where it's incredibly rocky and potentially slippery but then you're also going through mud deep mud at times and so there isn't really a shoe to do all of that but actually if someone created the equivalent of that with some I'm not sure they could because I think if you did that, you're going to skid whatever it is on when you get on road. Like with these, they are metal, and they if you wear them on the road, they will you'll blunt them. They're proper proper metal. They look like some kind of torture garden, so you have to take them off. Um, but it's easy to put them on and off, and you cannot wear them in mud because they clog mud. And I think if you were to put like lugs, I think that they would just get skiddy unless they unless they made up like ultra grip stuff that Innovate have been using and Ultra have been using. Maybe that would work, but I don't know why no one's done it. Or giving it a go because it would be cool wouldn't it yeah. especially if you just had a a pair of road shoes that you could then whip on your innovate soles yeah graphene on the bottom something like that and yeah, people keep asking me about that they're like what's the best hybrid muddy trail road shoe i'm like spoiler there is no best the best i've come across are the olympus 3 from ultra because they're not that aggressive but they don't feel like football boots when you get on the road but the fours do because they're just for deep mud and i just think it's very hard to find one that is midway isn't it yeah especially as a londoner or even as someone who say you're a walker you don't necessarily want to buy a set of trail shoes or or really you know aggressive shoes just for one race or just for one walk or just for one trip to the countryside so um right i'll i'll message innovate and say get on it see if they come up with uh, something soon now while we this is quite a effeminate episode with uh this is a female female focus episode female focus well i mean my presence surely confirms that but have you have you been seeing about the president of the tokyo 2020 olympic organizing committee i um don't i don't read news other than can we travel yet news so no this is all new to me so he's he's finally quit because he earlier this month said that um, women in 
meetings are basically they're just talkative and they make meetings drag on and listening to that i just thought wow is this am i, I surprised you like, listening to that i just thought yes finally someone's <laughs> just said it good on him oh yeah, and- god yeah, so they, I mean, they went, he, he said, women have a strong sense of rivalry. If one raises her hand to speak, all the others feel the need to speak to. Everyone ends up saying something. It just drags on. Now, I, I'm just amazed that, well, actually, this is what I couldn't, in my head, make clear is, am I surprised by this? No. Or am I not? I don't know the no. Japanese culture too well, but from the Olympic Committee, you just in your head have the stereotype of these old guys sat around in almost colonial era um style approach to life i think but, dress. i was like that's a bit i think that's a, a bit strong <laughs> <laughs> address um i seem to remember and i'm googling now um that there was a thing in the press about what Japanese women have to wear to work. And that was one of the central places where they're like, you have to wear high heels and you have to wear a skirt. You're not allowed to wear trousers. And you're not allowed to wear flats. And I think that's where it came from because it spread across the globe, didn't it? And there was all those memes of guys going into work wearing high heeled shoes and being like, this is fucked up that you have to do this. Um, but I think that was Japan. It might have been China. I'm sorry. That's terrible to not know the difference. But um, I'm not sure their attitudes towards, um, I was going to say women's rights, but I mean women's equality, are quite up there with ours, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, and that's also why I wasn't sure how much of this was a, a Japanese culture and how much of this was just an old boy culture of the Olympics. Um, but it, it does make you question how they're going to be able to actually look after the needs of female competitors or understand the needs of female competitors if they're assuming that, all women just go on basically i think it's not okay i think this is classic this is classic right this is he has obviously been threatened by something that has happened that's a that a, that a woman has said that maybe he's more intelligent than he is or maybe it was an idea that he had or maybe he had maybe maybe some of the women on the committee haven't agreed with something that he wants them to agree with so he's basically said your opinion doesn't matter because all you do is sit there talking crap and wasting everybody's time um which is i don't think is true in my experience women in my experience of, of working with teams of women women get shit done quicker than men do um, but there is that thing where and I've, I've experienced this when i worked in music i experience it all the time where you'll say something and then a guy will say to you uh no that's a ridiculous idea and then two minutes later the guy sitting next to you will say the same thing and then it's a <laughs> idea. and that's happened to me loads loads and loads and loads but to be honest with you doesn't surprise me and if the fact is I mean, what's the reaction been across the globe? Have people been like, good on you? Or have people been like, you can't say that? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, he's, it, it took a while for him to resign and probably couldn't come at a worse time as well for the Olympics, given that they're, they're months away from actually trying to put on the event. But Are, it's, they, it's, it, are they definitely going to try and do it in 2021 then? They've said nothing still. And this has actually come at a pivotal time. I don't know whether someone's pulled it out of the woodwork to to highlight it to, to add the pressure but now of all times they need to have someone who's their leader and sadly they don't and in the next month i assume they're going to have to make that decision of whether it's behind closed doors but also the, the trouble will be i think the world needs the olympics because we're we need some positivity but how do you have an olympics where 
the vast majority of the countries uh, are not Western and probably haven't been inoculated and also can't necessarily afford all the um, if, if you suddenly have to send each athlete and put them up in a hotel for two weeks, if it, all the, I don't know how that's going to work in funding. And does it then mean we just have a Western Games? Yeah, I, countries I, that, and the people try like the US Open have tried to do it. The cricketers have tried to do it. The rugby guys have tried to do it. And every time they tried to do it, there's been an outbreak, hasn't there? Something as bad mm. has happened. Um, and I don't think we'll be that far ahead with vaccines and stuff by that point anyway. But I know because I was uh, obviously for my job is to travel. So I look at the government loopholes. I mean, uh, the government non-restricted <laughs> people, you know, like if you work for like the NHS or if you are like a doctor or if you are working in the army and you get not quarantined. I've been through them with a fine tooth comb and elite athletes are still up there. You don't have to quarantine if you're an elite athlete who is running for your country. So but we all know that that's not the magic bullet, is it? And you can still go over and give it to people. So... Yeah, I don't know, but I think you're right. We do need something. I wouldn't mind it being behind closed doors if it was on the TV and it was something we'd get excited about, but I'd feel sorry for them. Like, can they perform without thousands of people in a fucking stadium? Because I'd be like, this isn't fair. I don't have my cheer squad. Yeah, there might be some sports that are actually, they suddenly do incredibly well without the pressure. Mm. Things like triple jump, long jump, um, pole vault. I'm just thinking of athletics, but But even shooting. You know the thing where they throw the big ball? Maybe they can throw it further because they're not worried about hitting the people in the audience <laughs> or the javelin. Indeed. No one to stab. <laughs> They've been subconsciously holding back. Yeah, I think they should change the name javelin to stablin. That's what I think. It would be better. It would be way better for the Olympics. It's called the stablin. No, um, no, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't say this before when you were talking about running in the snow. Someone's break. Someone set a world record for the fastest barefoot half marathon on snow. Right. <laughs> Were you aware that that was a thing? No. But also, when? Was it recent? Because it's not a Guinness World Record if it's recent, because they take fucking ages to get back to you on <laughs> anything, so that's a lie. Um, so was this an official thing? Did you do it in the garden? Like, this what? is, so this was out in Norway, and um, they ran 144.58, which I've just that's got no sense. That's fast. That's what, I, that, that's what I was telling myself in my head. But then I I don't understand enough about barefoot running, but mainly about what the rules are to know whether that is true. Barefoot running is where you run barefoot. Because it, it's not, it's it's faster, if anything, once you're used to it, right? Because you've not got the weight of shoes on. I mean, you don't have cheat shoes, but... Well, if you were going to do it, right, you just do it out of his back door or did he go to a track? Because you'd want to know what was under the snow, right? If, you, if you're actually going to go barefoot and not wear vibrams or anything, you want to know what's under the snow so you don't fall in a hole. I fell over today because I fell in a rabbit hole I didn't see. But um, I was wearing shoes. But you, So you probably want to do it he on a track. He was running along the side of a road. Right, okay. He's ended up with holes in his feet, bleeding holes in his so feet. He ever, he said he's never run barefoot before then. Um, he... Should have read the full article, to be fair. <laughs> if Adam McNuff can run the length of Britain with no fucking shoes on and not get holes in her feet, then I'm pretty sure he's never done this before. Especially as Adam McNuff could run, I think, a, a 144. Yeah, she could run way faster than that. I think she did London Marathon with no shoes on, on tarmac in like 344 or something. Right, Adam McNuff, we're going to get you to do that. Although she's now in the UK and by she's the time... She's just had a he's... baby, give her a break. She'll be pumped full of all the good juices. 
Surely. Yeah. Um, that, I think, is an attainable record by, by a do-badder, if there's one out there. Okay. I don't know many people that, that run barefoot, but actually, you'd think... Yeah, okay, I know two. There's Colin McFarlane, there's James Harper, and there's Julius, who used to run barefoot. So there's three people there. There must be more. Go and find yourself some snow or some ice and run a sub-144 for us all the best and are you allowed to come you know the way now people are because they can't run outside doing on treadmill is there such a thing as a treadmill barefoot frozen where you just constantly get ice on it maybe i tell you who could do it vic owens she's in the group she's a barefoot runner and she just did 32 miles a day for a month every day she did the double accumulator a thousand miles in a month in january and she's a barefoot runner so i'm pretty sure Damn it, we should have got to do it in January because she had snow. She was in Wales. Did she do the Did she do the Morris Way barefoot? Yeah. She was wearing Vibrams, but basically barefoot, yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know that. That is wow, okay. Um well we're gonna be talking to her at the running show, but let's get her on to talk about barefootness. Because actually we've we've never really spoken to someone extensively about it. I just think um, it's a bit wanky. I think that I mean, sorry, this is my opinion. I just think it's a bit wanky. It's a bit like, look at me. Sorry, Vic. Um, not everybody, but then it's like the vegan runners who are like real crazy vegan runners, isn't it? It's like every, I think every little different thing when it comes to running has the annoying people and it's the annoying people you notice first. Because I had people say to me, you've got running barefoot is the only way to run. You're ruining, you know, it's the best way to have the best possible gait. It's the best way to prevent against injury. And I'm just not interested because I like my comfy cushioned clown shoes. So, yeah, I'd be quite interested. But Vic's lovely and James is lovely and Colin's lovely and Julius is a knob, but he's also lovely. So, yeah, that does, my argument doesn't stand up. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, I've been emailed about a challenge someone's doing. And we often get emails either asking to come on the show or to um, just try and promote them. Guys, if you ask to come on the show, the likelihood is we'll say no. Because if you have to ask, the answer is probably no, right? Well, we we do get the odd person coming. You think, actually, that's quite fun or quite different. But um, this, we, do you remember... A year and a half ago, there were we had a spate of individuals who were trying um, crazy attempts, and the mountain rescue was saying, "Guys, you need to actually have some concept of, of how likely this is." Where you had individuals who were going up Snowdon in just their pants, and you had people being rescued left, right, and centre. There's one guy who was trying some, some, I think, the walk of the Pennine Way, but he was so baked on weed that he had to get picked up by a mountain rescue. So I get the sense now that we've had people like challenges, people like to take things on. And now that ultra running is becoming so much more popular, I now think that people are taking on ultras with no preparation. Oh my God. Are we going to talk about how not to run 55 miles on YouTube? Well, agree with you and it is pissing it pisses me off from like so many angles from the it's disrespectful to the people that really do get their heads around it that's the thing that annoys me the most and it's also completely unrealistic to set that as standard and it also cheapens everyone else's it, it cheapens their achievement yeah but there's a fine line between you saying i mean me saying to everyone everybody can be an ultra runner anyone can give it a go and 
then those people being like, I've done no training and I'm going to go out and try and run 50 miles. And look, I just did it. And it's like, yeah, it, it pisses me off. But then I'm like, oh, should I be, am I just annoyed because I have to constantly train to be good enough or not good enough, but fit enough to do that? Or am I annoyed because it is disrespectful and cheapens everybody else's like efforts? And, and I think it's good if they attempt it and fail desperately because they've not trained, because that's what we want to see more of. The reality of how hard it is yeah but i've been i've been approached by um I, I won't say the name but there's there's a documentary being made about someone who's attempting to run 500 miles from edinburgh to london in five days which is already pretty punchy if you think about well i mean also, it's a fucking horrible route because that's going to be all like roads, isn't it? And like a roads. Mm. And I wouldn't, if I, when you said that, I was like, is it Dan Lawson? Is it Dan Lawson? Because that's the only person I could think of that might be able to pull that off. That's what I was thinking because Dan was doing 70, 70 mile days, maybe a yeah. tiny bit more for the jog. Um, so he could do this, but not only. Are they attempting this? But they, uh, well, firstly, they asked for funding from Bad Boy Running, which I'm not quite sure how they. There's little shiny sweets coming the red wrapper. They're not currency. They're not currency. <laughs> what currency? But, but the the team have said that throughout the the entire challenge, they're only going to stop for five minute Where breaks. I don't know if I should name them or not, just because... Well, you might have I mean, a bit of paper and just show it to me, just so I know who it is, and I won't say who it is. is it you won't have heard of this. So, so Nick, oh, edit right. this out. Edit this out, Nick. I've uh, never heard of him, but I can't wait to start Googling him. Is he, so that's, what's, what's, the, what's the pedigree of this person? So, um, what's the pedigree of this person? The the pedigree I, I they've done a hundred mile before. A um, hundred well, miles. They've run a hundred miles in one go. And I they've oh. done a sub twenty four, I believe. Oh, but it's just unbelievable. It's the fact that they've not committed to. So they've committed to not stopping for more than five minute breaks at any one time. And I just don't. I I can't see anyone on earth being able to do that. I can see someone being able to do it. Maybe. Um, but that person would have to have such a huge experience of running tired and with no sleep for five days. And we've had people on talking about sleep. Right? We've had people on talking about the point at which your body starts to shut down properly without sleep. Um, I'm going to blow my own trumpet here. I've done seven 100 mile runs. Right. And six of those have been in under 24 hours. I would not even dream of attempting to do that distance. Even if someone said to me, there's a case with a million quid at the end of it, I just, I could not do that because you're looking at sub, so you're looking at sub, if you want to get any sleep at all, you need to do 20 to 22 hour hundreds the whole way and get three hours mm -hmm. sleep. Then you've got to eat a decent meal because you're going to be burning fuel like a mother. Then you're going to have all that stuff like surging around your body because you can't sleep after a hundred mile. Like you try, but you can't. Like this to me is Utterly insane. And if you said it was someone like our friend David Goggins, he's, he definitely couldn't do it either. Or I, don't know, I can't think of anyone I think could possi possibly even 
Yeah, no. I mean, it, it would have to be someone like a Dan Lawson to, to even attempt it, but he'd know to, he'd just know and wouldn't. But if maybe you think John about things... John Kelly, I reckon, because he's got such superhuman powers, maybe. I'd, or Damien Hall, I'd think about that. But... Yeah, I, I think, I mean, John's probably got the most experience of running tired and yeah. and power naps. And, and he, you know, he could probably get through a night with just two minutes sleeping. But things like Big Big's Backyard, um, they have got to close to 300 miles running each hour and resting each hour. And that could, they're, that's the... They're professional athletes. They are professional. They've been doing it for years. You don't just get a random turning up and doing that. Like, they've, they've learned to eat. They've learned exactly how their bodies work. I've never heard of this dude, and I'm very surprised. I'd be very surprised if I Google him and go, wow, he's on loads of amazing stuff, because my, usually I've heard of people. And my question is, because we, we do get approached fairly frequently now about big challenges like this, is should we, as responsible adults, advise them and say, look, this is going to be impossible. You need to think about your break strategy. Or should we, as responsible adults let them go ahead with it so that they can almost educate the is rest of the happen, population. Is this going to happen in the near future, this event, this, this attempt? Yeah, I believe so. We're in a global pandemic. The last thing anyone needs to do at the moment is put extra pressure on the NHS, the emergency services, or anybody else that is under pressure. Okay, that's the first thing. So, yeah, that's great. You want to do that? Go and do it in 2022 or 2023, which is why we haven't done the Rum Britannia test pilot yet, okay? Secondly, um, I think that for us as a podcast, like as much as we're funny and like we like doing funny shit, we have a duty, not only a duty of care to the people that take what we say, the stupid people that listen to what we say and go on that advice, but also to ourselves. As like the people we have in this podcast, are, a lot of them are amazing endurance athletes who've got an amazing story, who've worked really, really hard. I don't think that we as a podcast should be supporting someone that just thinks they can get off their fucking ass and do something like this. It's obviously not. They're obviously going to fail in it, but that, but and, you know we. That's not going to be funny. There's nothing really to say about it. It's just like you, you haven't, you, you've not put the work in, and so there's so many not, bits about it. But I'm just like, I'd, oh. I'd say this person probably will train hard and, and is, is a reason. You know, it's a it's, it's a fairly good runner. Hasn't really gone for a night like this, but part of me almost wants to see people that go for crazy challenges to fail spectacularly to to be a lesson for others. Okay, so you've not seen how not to run 55 miles. It's uh, YouTube. It was on YouTube. It's been quite heavily promoted. BBC Three have done it. Seen it? I have. It's been sent to me several times, in fact. Have you watched it? I, I did. I was surprised. I was surprised by the, the ending. So was I. Um, I was in such a rage when I watched that. Because I'm like, the race that he chooses to enter, this Radio 1 Extra DJ, who's a runner, who he ran a marathon in lockdown on his own. Oh, my God. Uh, first time he's ever done it. Enters a Chevy Goat, 50 miles, 55 miles, um, up north, Northumberland. It's self-nav, which they don't say. It's one of the hardest mm. races in the country. It takes proper feigned endurance athletes between, four, well, between 16 and 18 hours to finish. And he's just like, yeah, sure, I'm going to do it. And 
the thing is, watching that program are young kids who are like, oh, well, if Reese has got into running, I should get into running and I can do that. And it's like, no, 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 you can't do that. This guy's only ever run in parks in London. He's running at mm. eight and a half minute miles most of the time. He's got to stop doing that. He's never run at night. He doesn't own a pair of trail shoes. He's never run on trails. He does. He never used a head torch. He doesn't know anything about fueling. And he just, it just takes the piss, basically. Um, I won't spoil what happens at the end, but it's like, whatever. It just made me feel like with the rise in popularity of ultra running, there is also a rise in the cheapening of ultra running, the cheapening of people being like, oh, anyone can do that. And mm. there are so many people that work so fucking hard to get to those points that it just, it just upsets me. It just, it just makes me sad. But, you know, ultimately with that race, it didn't go ahead because of COVID, but I think the race director would have stopped him at the start and been like, you're not doing it, mate, because you're a liability to the crew, to the first aid people, to everybody else in this race. I think the race directors do have to go, actually, there's no qualification for that race. I don't know why, but it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and, and that is the – that is a race I'd look at and just think, I'd, I just wouldn't want to do that race. It's, it looks really tough. I'd love to do it, but I don't think personally, me, having had, got, got like five or six years ultra running experience and having done some pretty epic stuff, I would t- it would take me a year to train properly and be in the right mm. shape to do that race. Yeah, and then you've still got the unknown of they they show one individual that's falling completely waist deep in mud because that's mm-hmm. the terrain underfoot. Um, yeah, and actually that it's interesting you say that because I've been sent this and no one's actually watched the whole clip, but it seems to have generated quite a lot of um, momentum behind it, possibly because they're one extra. The BBC seems to be pushing it quite heavily as well. Yeah, and, and you're right. I'm not sure whether I hadn't thought that the impact this could have with people who are attempting challenges like it. Um, Especially when there's no um, criteria for entry, because you get people being like, "Recentered that, so I'm going to enter it." And I've been really inspired, and it's great that you've been inspired. But ultimately, you're taking the place of somebody that really could do that race and really wants to do that race, and it just, just annoys me. And actually, a lot of races have been self-selecting on people's abilities because to even know about them, you have to be an experienced enough runner to consider doing something like the GOAT. So whether that's – it could be that in the future, race directors all have to be a lot more strict on who they're allowed to enter because as as the sport grows, as influencers and the media – do hype races then it's it's going to reduce the bar of people applying mm-hmm. so this year i got i was converted by the guys at new dragon's back and they gave me the dream opportunity which was to run dragon's back um give me a press play from dragon's back this september right september 21 i was like oh my god this is amazing like i cannot it's my bucket's race this is so exciting um and immediately i said yes and then I started to think about it and I'm like, it is my bucket list race. I want to mm. finish that race, but I've always been like, I'm not going to enter it. So I know I can do it. I, can't, I don't want to pay that money and then fail. Then I started to look at my calendar and I was like, shit, I've got loads of test pilot stuff on. I've got loads of trips on. I'm not going to be able to train for this the way I want to train for it. So what I'm going to do is defer it to 2022. And I'm going to have that in the back of my mind. And I'm going to say, I can't do this trip. Can't do that trip. Can't do that trip. Or I'm going to go on trips where it's mountain training or, and I'm going to focus. I'm going to do like, Seven sessions with Kate Worthington, Upgrid Gok. I'm going to do this because I want to finish it. And if I was to take that place in 2021 and turn up and not be able to do it, I've taken someone else's place, regardless of if it's a media place or not. 
because I respect the ultra community because I'm part of it and because I understand how hard it is for people to get into races, like stuff like Centurion, which sells out in seconds. Like, I get that, but I think a lot of people started, have done their first ultra in lockdown by accident. I've got really overexcited mm. and they've signed up for stuff that they've got no chance of completing with this thing of, I'm going to have the mental strength to do it. And it's like, the mental strength doesn't stop your GI problems and it doesn't stop the fact that you don't have it in your legs and it doesn't stop what am I going to do when I get tired because you've never experienced that or, oh, it's dark and I don't, I've realised I don't like running in the dark. Like, it doesn't stop that and I just think people need to think a little bit, you know, people that are new to ultra running just need to think a little bit more about and read up a little bit more about the people that are successful in it before they start, like, going crazy and entering ridiculous races. I think you're right, especially is that the narrative of, it being mind over matter that ultra running is, is it's only true if you're physically capable exactly and it's only true if you go well what's my stomach doing you know am i going to shit myself or is my stomach just reacting to the fact that i've had too much sugar or not enough sugar how am i going to and you have to do that in practice don't you, you have to practice that stuff mm. and that whole is this a dnf issue or is this that i'm going to get over this issue you only learn with experience so you know, it just it means that people more people are going to DNF, more people are taking up places that other people really want. And um, people just need to think about it a bit more. And that makes me sound like Debbie Downer. But you know that I'm like the ultimate, like everyone can give it a go and everyone should give it a go. But I just think you need to train. <laughs> Training is important. And actually, it, it almost it, it speaks to us having more city ultras because People, there is this more this greater appetite, and actually having more things like the Great South uh, race they did around London, and things that people can actually take part in to scratch their itch of doing an ultra without necessarily having to throw themselves into incredibly hard ones. Yeah, and I mean, there's a difference between doing what was that one we did in London, the London Ultra, which is like thirty odd miles, isn't it? And mm. and like um, if you're going to do something like the Downslink, which Sussex Trail events do, that's just a one long railway track, and it is tedious but it's good mental training um or going and doing loops or something where it's where your house is nearby like not entering dragon's back or flipping chevy a goat or like you know any of these mental like the spine like it's um people just need to think about it but it's, people don't know anything about ultra running apart from what they think they know and it's not it is it's growing and i think there'll be more information mm. out there but i also think if you, people think uh, if you can get away with running London Marathon on no training, which loads of people do, you can get away with running the GOAT with no training. You absolutely cannot. But, but do that. Have you got any epic stories of epic failures, people who've really, really failed to train, to understand what they're laying themselves in for? And do any of them turn out happily or are they all as spectacular failures as, as we suspect they may be? Um you know, we we love championing the the story of the under guy, the uh, the undercard who who comes good. I also but, like the um, stories of the people that epically fail and then go, "Wow, man, I was such a dick," and then go back yeah. and like relearn it. Because I've done that a couple of times on hundreds I've done, where I've got turned up like Billy Big Bollocks, like, "Oh, I've done this before. <laughs> sure, I know what I'm doing here." And then it just like when I did Devon Coast to Coast, absolute meltdown, like you knob, like you just I thought I could go and do it because I've done it before like a hundred miler but it's all of them are different and all of them are learning curves and you've got to be humble and respect the distance and i learned that but but you know do other people learn that or do they go and spectacularly fail and go fuck that i'm not doing it again or are there people that have made massive errors and then come back and been brilliant yeah yeah and and 
that's the thing. If you if you've got the right attitude, failure helps fuel your your next um, crowning glory as such. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about people that aren't prepared, it seems that one thing that we're not prepared for is the menopause because we haven't got enough information about it. Which that's is why so good. <laughs> which is why we've got our next guest on. <laughs> Finally, a good link. Take it away, Nick. They do badders. A um, bit of a, a different topic for you today. We spoke to Rini McGregor about half a year ago where we talked about the impact of menstrual cycles on female training. And she recommended we speak to Nikki because we she didn't want to go into too much detail about the menopause. Well, we had a lot of questions from the listeners, but Rini didn't feel that she was enough of an expert to really cover the topic. So we've got on the podcast her exact suggestion the best person on earth to get on and we're going to answer your questions at the end but the what's really amazed me about this topic is that it just seems that hardly anyone knows anything about it including females going through the menopause at the moment so we're going to ask a lot of stupid questions we say a lot of stupid things because i'm completely ignorant and uh ali i assume is I'm more completely than me. ignorant, and I have a <laughs> womb, and I'm a female lady human. Listen, there's no such thing as a stupid question, by the way, just to quickly say and put that in there. So, yes. <laughs> well, we're going to put that to the test. And if you're thinking this doesn't necessarily involve me because I'm a man, well, first, come on, buddy. But also, actually, there's nothing more delightful than an awkward conversation at Christmas with your grand. So uh, listen in to know how to how to have that conversation. So welcome on the podcast, the wonderful Dr. Nikki Key. Thanks very much for the invitation, guys. And yeah, really looking forward to discussing this very important topic. Well, where, I mean, I, should we just start with what is the menopause? I was I mean, going to ask exactly the same thing. <laughs> what is it at a base level? Because I don't know. Yeah. I think if I can take it back and even step further from that. Let's start with, you know, women have menstrual cycles, okay? So let's just, so, um, you know, women, typically they start having periods, menstrual cycles, variation in hormones, that's what it is. From the age of, average age is about 12. It can be a little bit later, especially if you're doing a lot of exercise. But anyway, suffice to say, that's when periods start. And what's happening is that uh, your internal female hormones, are kind of doing, they're doing like a sort of a training schedule, if you will, you know? Actually, I just thought about it because it's like over four, over roughly four weeks, roughly, a lunar month, the hormones are doing beautiful uh, choreography inside you. And as a result of that, every month, more or less, as a woman, you will have a menstrual bleed, a period, okay? So that's, let's just say that's what happens. And that starts from, as I said, around about the age of 12, and that will continue up until average age is 51, roughly. But basically, the ovaries get a bit tired. Okay, so it's a bit like an overtraining syndrome, if you will, that, you know, they've been doing this every month religiously. The ovaries will pump out uh, the female hormones and the woman uh, will produce an egg. Um, but then by the time you get to about 50, well, by the time probably you get to 40, uh, you know, the ovaries have actually, they're just, you know, uh, as I say, literally overtraining. They've been doing this for a long time. And so they start to wind down. They become less responsive. That's what the thing is, that your uh, your ovaries become less responsive as a woman. 
uh, until they sort of sort of peter out until gradually uh, they stop uh, producing eggs, producing hormones, and that's what the menopause is. So the menopause is when your ovaries uh, stop working, and therefore, as a consequence of that, uh, your hormones change as a woman quite dramatically, obviously, because the main source of female hormones, I think most people have heard, estrogen, progesterone, the two main female hormones. You know, they've been doing this beautiful cycling thing, you know, uh, cyclical variation from the age of 12 right up till round about 50, 51, and then suddenly it stops. So no wonder the menopause is quite a dramatic thing for a woman. Um, number one, she can't have, number one, she can't have children anymore. And it's kind of like the end of that chapter of your life. Uh, but also all these hormones have changed. But I, I want to really emphasize at this point that this is normal physiology. So it's definitely something we should be talking about. And it's not some, oh, my goodness, you know, that's the end of the life. You know, it's a, it's a change in life. I totally I'm going to discuss that. But that is just like what happens. And it will happen to every single woman. And it's been going on for ages. <laughs> you know, for millennia. So it's definitely something we need to be talking about and understanding. But I think the crucial thing, why do we have to talk about it more now today? It's because, um, you know, in the Tudor times, lots of women, they wouldn't even reach the menopause. They would probably die before they were the 51. But nowadays, a women's life expectancy, I think it's about 80. So you're going to be spending a third of your life, if you're a woman, in the menopause, right? So it's something definitely we need, you know, we need to be talking about. And so women can get to grips with it and understand it is a normal physiological process, um, but it is challenging. No doubts about that. So there we go. Is that OK? That's a summary of what we're that, talking that's about. That's literally the best summary I've ever heard of it, ever. Um, when you say they're going to be in the menopause, so the menopause doesn't end. You, you hit it and it goes on forever. Yes, so, or? so the menopause, so the menopause. They're going to be really sort of strictly speaking. The menopause is when the ovaries just stop working, stop producing hormones. So you will be in a menopausal state, mm -hmm. okay, from the age of whatever it is, average age 51, something like that, until <laughs> until whenever you manage to, you know, you 80 or whatever. So that's where I think that's another bit of the confusion. But in it's not like a light switch in the sense it's either on or off. So right. in the build up to 51, there's this state called the perimenopause, you know, roundabout. Mm -hmm. so like I said, probably even from the age of 40, um, you know, the horm the ovaries start to get a little bit like, mm, not so sure we want to do this anymore, thanks. And so it's from the age of 40 that women can start feeling a bit different. Right. Your periods yeah. might be more erratic. They might change, you know, uh, you might just feel, and we're going to talk about all the, the symptoms of this. So you might start feeling certain things, but then the sort of the line in the sand, if you will, is when the ovaries sort of stop entirely and you don't get any more periods at all because you're not producing any hormones. And then that's, you'll be in this menopausal state of no female hormones from the age of the menopause 51 until, you know, you reach 80, hopefully. Is that, does that two, clarify? Are the two tied to, together or the once you stop producing eggs, does that mean the hormones have stopped? Or is there also a period where you may continue getting some estrogen even though you've stopped having periods? Yes. 
there is a is is there's no set thing that's a very good question because that's the other thing um you know potentially because it's sort of like an intermittent fault if you will in the perimenopause you know that's why sometimes sort of women in their 40s get a bit of a shock because actually you could become pregnant right so you still have to be aware of contraception but it's it's just an intermittent thing and there's no set pattern which i think that that's exactly what you're saying it could be that you stop ovulating but the body's still still trying to produce some hormones but it's just not getting there to the ovulation or it could be that actually it just about manages to ovulate but the hormones aren't quite what you would expect so it's all sort of variations on the theme which is i think why it's one of the very difficult things to really tie down okay we can say what the menopause is the menopause is when the ovaries stop full stop stop ovulating stop hormones end but this perimenopause this build up to it it's very variable and i think that's what makes it number one very confusing because every woman will feel slightly differently and have a slightly different time course um so i think uh that's the thing there isn't an absolute set a set route for this yeah is it almost Sorry, Helen. I think that's one of the things that is most confusing is there isn't really a, a set time. Like there's a set time for a gestation of a pregnancy and there's a set time for, mm-hmm. say, if you're diagnosed with, you know, some terrible disease that, you know, you're going to go through these levels of it before you die. But with this, there is no set time, it seems. It seems some people go through perimenopause for like 10 years and others don't go through it at all, go straight into menopause. Correct. Exactly. It's a very variable time course. In general terms, from 40 onwards it could start the the intermittent fault could start happening happy um, birthday to me this year everyone <laughs> <laughs> that's the earliest but equally you're right there is other there are other sorts and in fact that i was luckily one of the sorts where um it was it was more uh defined you know like in the year before it's like mm, something is not quite right it was just a year of just like mm, not sure and then it was like quite distinct. So yeah. exactly, everyone's story will be different. And so, no, and no one's story is right or wrong. It's just that's everyone. Every woman is individual, right? And but is, it's just is the trigger. Is it based on your DNA? The trigger for that, or is it also? Yes. Well, listen, we probably we don't entirely know, as with most things. Certainly, mm. there is there is something to do with the genetic link. Uh, you know, we know that the start age of starting your periods or stopping your period menopause. You know, often if you ask your your mother, uh, was she a late starter or an early stopper or whatever it is, sometimes there is the link. But we don't honestly know. But I think the point to say is that um, just to be aware of it, isn't it? Uh, just to know that it could be variable and it's it's not right or wrong. It's just mm. individual. And that's really the crucial thing. Women, uh, I'm sure going to bring up this quote, which I love, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, the uh, vice president of the Royal College of Obstetrics Gynecology, her quote is, treat women as individuals, not statistics. And that is exactly it. This could apply for anything, by the way, but <laughs> specifically yeah. for what we're talking about now, uh, you know, it, it could be a slight variation on this theme. We know the underlying physiology is the same for every woman, that the ovaries just stop uh, responding, stop doing their thing. That's the underlying thing, but the exact time course of it is variable. And I guess the problem is that the symptoms, I mean, I guess we'll go into symptoms in a minute, but yep. the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause can also cross over with so many other things that it can be very hard to understand what's going on. Absolutely. That's a very important point. Thanks for bringing that up because 
you know, um, you know, uh, by the way, when I say getting older, I'm allowed to say that now that I am. And as my children remind me, I'm very old. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, as you get older, let's be frank. Uh, you know, things aren't quite as they were when you're a 21 year old, right? So exactly. things change and you're more likely, other things are more likely to develop. You're quite right. For example, in women, higher incidence of an underactive thyroid, which increases with age. So you're right. There could be an overlap. There could be something else going on. They could be in, I think you spoke to Rini about reds, didn't you? Relative energy deficiency. Mm. Yeah. There's no, there's no age limit. You know, it could be that actually there's other things going on, not fueling properly. Could be a med, other, another medical thing, a thyroid problem. Could be that maybe your vitamin D is very low. So there are lots of other things that can obscure the picture. Um, but nevertheless, having, you know, you, you start to think this is a higher probability. If you're sort of in your 40s, you know, this is probably a bit more likely to be uh, the underlying cause of, of any symptoms or problems you're experiencing. But absolutely, you shouldn't rule out doing all the getting, trying to get all the basics right. Are you feeling enough? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you, have you got taking your vitamin D? Uh, you know, you should still persevere with all of those things just to, so you know, to sort of try and narrow it down. Is it, do you use your periods as a measure of it? Because like, my periods are like clockwork. I don't take any contraception um, mm -hmm. and they are like clockwork within like two or three days. And they're always the same, three or four days. I always get in a massive mood like the day before. But could just could perimenopause start without it actually having a effect on your on what physically happens to you? All yes. um, oh, right. Because, yeah, because I, I was thinking about it earlier I had a little bit of reading on it and I just thought you know mm -hmm. sometimes I feel knackered and awful rubbish and sometimes I feel amazing I suffer with mental health problems as well so I'm like well, is it just because I'm depressed or is it because of this or is it because of that um, but I'm always like no my if my period is here and it's on time and it's exactly as it usually is everything is okay so is that kind of a dangerous way to look at it or no no that's actually quite reasonable again we don't want to put down any rules in stone you know but actually the because after all the issue is that the, the ovaries start getting a little bit, uh, you know, tired, lazy, whatever you want to call them, right? And so, yes, you're, if you have a regular uh, menstrual cycle, like you described, uh, periods regular as clockwork, uh, then uh, probably actually you're right. You're quite reasonably to assume that actually your hormones are doing their things because if there's any alteration in how your hormones are fluctuating, then the, your cycle might start to vary. Mm -hmm. And the point about maybe it, uh, you're not producing an egg every cycle, so that tends to make the, the, the thing shorter, right? Or yeah. equally it can be longer because the body is sort of waiting. It's like, uh, is it going to ovulate or not? So, so, you're, so, you're, so that's not an unreasonable thing to say. If you are... Uh, have got exactly regular periods and actually I, you know, I did uh, eventually <laughs> uh, have regular periods, you know, 26 days da, 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 da. and then I noticed myself that actually then it became a little bit more, mm, hold on, variable. Uh, so I think that's not an unreasonable uh, assumption. You know what I mean? I, I literally use my periods as the marker for everything. I'm like, you know, when you start going like, oh, like mental anxious and you're like i feel a bit weird i'm gonna google it oh my god maybe i've got cancer oh my god maybe i'm dying of this well and no, like, no my period's there i'm definitely 100 percent well in yeah. all ways shapes and forms exactly no i think that's not an unreasonable thing because the female uh i mean when really i'm sure was speaking about uh you know menstrual cycles for women 
I call them the barometer of healthy hormones. Uh-huh. Uh, I need to trademark that thing. Anyway, so it's a, it's a nice external sign that your internal hormones are happy. So I think actually that's a very good rule of thumb. And, and better to do it like that rather than, as you say, getting anxious or, you know, something else going on. So don't look for problems where there aren't, I would suggest. Yes, but if, yeah, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what are the, the issues that a, an older female will face with not having these hormones? Like, are, are there some benefits to not having them or are, is it mainly negative? Uh, well. I'm afraid there's quite a lot of negative. Uh, I mean, it depends. If you've, if you're the sort, if you're a woman that has had problems with her periods, like premenstrual syndrome, okay. So in the two weeks in the lead up to, to having a period when the progesterone goes very high and then very low, um, you know, if you are someone that suffered with that a lot, then I guess you could be quite happy, maybe, <laughs> that that's coming to an end. Um, so I guess there are. For, if you've had very problematic time with your periods, then actually maybe, you know, you could think that's, oh, great, I'm not going to have those anymore. Uh, but the honest truth is um, that, you know, this is physiology, this is what happens, and, yeah, your your hormones are going to take a, a nosedive. I mean, as we get older, like we discussed, your hormones in general start to sort of go down, like growth hormone uh, decreases, and for men, uh, testosterone slightly goes down. By the way, guys, it slightly goes down your testosterone. All right, have a thought, care, a spare a thought for us guys, uh, girls, because our hormones just go and like literally off a cliff. Okay, Man, so, I wish ours went up. I wish our testosterone went up when we hit. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Not okay. yeah, anyway, so, so I think that you know we have to be realistic about this. Uh, it, it's it's probably not. Uh, not great as such, but again, it's not one of these things one has a choice, you know? It's not a disease. This is physiology. This is normal. So we just have to accept it and, and figure out what's what's going to work for us. And and how does that affect, because a lot of the, the questions and also I think a lot of the issues it sounds like is, is the, the fact that it almost has a transformative effect on people's ability to recover, people's ability to train, um, things like People have mentioning potentially bone density. Um, like what what are the, the the things that individuals need to be aware of, and also what are the changes that are coming that they can try and um, counter? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, I'm an endocrinologist, hormones. So um, uh, if your hormones, and by the way, your hormones drive your adaptations to exercise. All right. So suddenly, if you've you know, they, you don't have those anymore as a woman, then number one, you're absolutely right, going to have a knock-on effect um, on all the systems in the body you care to describe. Um, but listen, I don't want this to – we'll just run – shall we run through them now? Because I want to get on to the more positive things about what to do about them, right? But yeah, let's listen, do the doom-mongering just, now. Let's do the doom-mongering. Let's get the list out of the way. It's a bit like when I deal with reds. It's like, listen, let's just get the negative stuff out the way, and then we'll move on to how to, you know – the positive uh, is I can give up ultra running, so I'm like I can't wait. Never <laughs> to give it up and never have to run a hundred miler again. It's gonna be amazing. Well, well, yeah, that's one way of looking at it, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so these hormones um, are important for every system in your body. So if we go through the systems in the body, where therefore, if suddenly they're not there anymore, you're going to, uh, you know, face some problems. So you mentioned bone density uh, there. 
So for women, estrogen is really important for our bone health. So one of the things that happens if, of course, you're no longer producing estrogen, then your bone density is going to go down. In other words, your bone health. And I'm sure, you know, everyone's heard about osteoporosis. And sadly, my mother's, you know, she is 85 now and she has got osteoporosis, you know, with the slightly stooped dowager's hump, you know, sort of you lose height. Right. Mm. So, I mean, listen, unfortunately, listen, getting old is not nice. But (laughs) anyway, so you we tend to lose bone density anyway as we get older. But especially for women, it really, again, takes a nosedive. So bone density is going to, you know, uh, potentially be at risk. Also, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, muscles and body composition. Right. So you're not going to have I know lots of people think, oh, estrogen and progesterone, they're a nuisance, but actually they're really good for maintaining your body composition uh, and your muscle strength, all those sorts of things, okay? So, again, it's going to affect, could affect your training like that and, as you said, your uh, recovery. The other thing that it affects, um, which I did notice a lot, um, <laughs> was that it affects your mood because these hormones, female hormones, are neurotransmitters. So, you know, your mood, your cognitive function. So, changeable mood and I can definitely say this is the case, um, literally one moment you will be shouting and screaming and really angry, and the next moment you're in floods of tears for this exactly the same thing. Present, you know, literally the same thing. The tea towel falling off the rack would either send you, me, into floods of tears or shouting and screaming. And so, and does it, it always go the negative way? Does it, does it not go like one minute you can be, can you not be like super, super, super happy? And then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, very changeable mood, a very, right. like, and, and for no you know, definite reason. I mean, you know, it's very, it, it's fine if you want to shout and scream and shout, you know, crying and then whatever, but not, but for not, uh, the, you know, for exactly the same thing. It just kind of makes no sense. And certainly, you know, the brain fog thing about, you know, remembering stuff, it, it, that's true, feeling a little bit fuzzy. So those are sort of, uh, those are the, those are the types of effects. And also I think lots of women will have heard about hot flushes. So basically lack of these hormones means your temperature control is, is a bit haywire. And so literally, for again, for no reason, you will feel boiling hot, um, you know, and, and can go a bit red and it can be really embarrassing, frankly, um, and just like weird. So so that uh, and also these female hormones, very important for the, the female reproductive system. So uh, vaginal dryness, we have to talk about this, you know, maybe sex is a bit painful now, maybe you're going to the loo more, uh, you know, urinating more, uh, these sorts of things, which again, I think people are shy about talking about, but you know, we have to, right? Uh, so, we're yeah. the ones that have the babies, so I think that we are the ones, we're the ones that spout out the babies, so I think we're yeah. allowed to talk about having a hot Stop. flush, vaginal Exactly. Whatever exactly. else. Like, this is the thing. It's like it can feel embarrassing to have a hot flush. Why should should it feel embarrassing? No, that, that exactly. Mm. You're absolutely right because we said this is normal physiology. I mean, you know, yeah. exactly. It's pushing out a baby. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what can I say? It's flipping painful, and and it's like, oh my goodness, what's you know? But and it's warrior esque. So of course, yeah, you know, absolutely. we should. You need your strength anyway. <laughs> so, you know, but it's it is normal physiology, and so is the menopause. Um, so you're absolutely right. We should be, well, we are talking about it, but being aware that these are the things uh, that can happen. Um, I think those are the main ones, uh, you know, the mood, the physical, like your 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 muscles and your bones, uh, uh, the female reproductive tract. I mean, everyone will feel this differently. So some women will 
might not say, well, listen, I didn't have any of those problems. But other women, you'll say, well, listen, you really downplayed, uh, you know, a certain aspect of it. But those are sort of the, the key ones to look out for or be aware and, of, should I say. And can you do things like taking additional calcium or vitamin D or are there supplements that you can use to try and counter any of those mm. issues at all? Or Yes, well, I think, you know, uh, being as healthy as you can leading up to it, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, doesn't it, really? I mean, hopefully everybody is already taking vitamin D supplements uh, because it's the one vitamin that you can't get through your diet alone, you have to the sun. So doing the doing the best you can to give yourself a good chance with your bone health, you know. Um, the vitamin D, of course, you know, balanced diet you've had really telling you about everything you know um and not going into low energy availability because that's not good for your bones or, or your hormones in general so listen i think it's kind of common sense you know lifestyle things we talk about and you know i think probably most of your listeners are already athletes so you know they are doing exercise uh, they are eating a balanced diet with a good variety of foods etc hopefully they are fueling enough Hopefully they are sleeping enough. Sleep is really, really important. So doing all the things, nothing life, you know, like special as such, but things probably you should be doing. Or if you, it's the time to really tidy up on any of those details because, uh, you know, then you'll be in the best position possible to, you know, face this new chapter in your life <laughs> with like the big old classic the the absolute classics as i call them the hot flushes and the mood swings and stuff like that do they eventually dissipate when your body gets used to this idea it's not got the hormones anymore or because you, you know if menopause goes on until day dot basically does that yes. mean that this is going to go on or does it eventually just dissipate and it, will, you know, that's kind it, of will, it will it will eventually dissipate um, I mean, some other simple things, especially for the um, hot flush type of things. Um, I was just reading, uh, there's a relatively recent study saying that, you know, talking about sort of simple measures, if you've got good omega-3 intake, so oily fish and B6 dietary intake. So again, taking care of all the things that hopefully you are taking care of, that can help with the hot flushes. But in answer to your question, they will eventually die down, these symptoms. But I think that um, uh, hopefully we're going to talk about HRT in a minute because that is really the that's something that we really need. What are you going to do about that? You know, mm -hmm. uh, the choices of that. Um, so the things will die down if you can bear with if you want to, you know, go through it and you you're adamant or you frankly, you're contraindicated to take HRT. That's your choice. But I think now. Uh, we sh is it okay? We talk about should we talk about HRT yeah, now? Yeah, it is. Just one yeah. quick question: Is there yeah. a time frame on it dying down? Like, is there a ballpark figure? Oh, like, right, right. Like, five years, or it's going to be ten years? It's or? a couple of years, but again, it's one of those variable things. It's it's not, are we coming out of lockdown, right? It's one of those variable things. <laughs> it's, uh, precisely, it's one of those variable things. But roughly, it would be very unusual if it was just like one day, and it would be very bad luck indeed, and I think almost unheard of if it was ten years. So it's a couple of years, okay, usually on average, okay. Um, but as you say, a bit variable like lockdown. I think that's a very good comparison. <laughs> yeah, then you go into various tiers. You don't know which one you're going to be in and yeah, yeah, the yeah. actual tiers. Um, that's cool. a very good analogy. Exactly. You don't know which case. <laughs> Anyone would think I worked in marketing. Um, let's talk about HRT then. Yes, well, listen, uh, I think, uh, right, where to, well, 
let's get with the name. HRT, hormone replacement therapy. So as the name suggests, it's replacement therapy. So just to be clear what we're talking about, it's a physiological dose, in other words, um, a way of giving your body what it's been seeing for the last whatever it is, 30 years of you having your period. So it's replacement, totally different to the combined oral contraceptive pill, right? Those are very high doses and often they are more uh, synthetic hormones. But anyway, so HRT, that's what it is. It's replacing what, uh, you know, what you have been producing all along. Um, and uh, there are some women for whom this is contraindicated. For example, if you've got a, a personal family history of breast cancer or if you've got, uh, you know, a, a definite clotting problem, then I'm afraid that's not on the table. But, for, you know, apart from some definitive contraindications, it's every woman's choice. And, you know, I unfortunately, there's been a lot of misinformation about this and a lot of scaremongering because the the original trial that they did uh, in America some time ago, um, there was a bit of a panic because it seemed that a lot of women were getting breast cancer. But then when it was looked into in more detail, the, the problem was that they were started these women on HRT way after the menopause, you know, in their 60s, you know, 60 plus. So the first thing is, if you are considering taking HRT, please do your personal research and we'll go through it now as well um, and make an informed decision. And if you are going to, you know, try, then do it as soon as possible after your periods do stop or when your symptoms are getting bad. Because if you sort of think, oh, well, I'll, I'll leave it, uh, leave it for 10 years, that's actually not advisable. I'll see how I get on. I'll see how I get exactly. on. Exactly. So how, how do you take HRT? What, how does it work? Is it pills? So, like what happens? Well, the best the best way of doing it is um, there. It can be any. They can be pills, but actually, the probably the best way of doing it is that the estrogen you can put it through your skin, transdermal, as we say. So there's a patch. You either put a patch on your skin, or they, there are various gel forms. I mean, personally, I prefer the gel because wearing a patch is like a badge of honor. I don't. I don't know. And I've always got this thing about, I don't know if it would fall off in the swimming pool. I don't know. Anyway. So, yeah, it's uh, annoying as well. It's just really annoying. It's just annoying. So, so taking the estrogen bit through the skin is better. And we know that because that means it doesn't have to go through the liver. Because anything you take as a tablet, it has to go through the liver. So let's just go straight through the skin. So patch or a gel. Okay. And then you must always, if you've still got a, a uterus, a womb, unless you've had a hysterectomy, you must always take estrogen with with progesterone, okay? So again, there are various choices of the progesterone. You could um, you could have the marina coil, uh, the, you know, the progesterone, the coil that's got the progesterone in it. Um, you can also have progesterone as a patch, or you can have it uh, as, a, as a tablet. Um, and the other thing to take into consideration when you're making your selection is I personally, for example, look very carefully at the type of hormones that were on offer. And I chose the preparations that were as identical as possible to my own hormones, okay? Yeah. The the less synthetic ones, okay? Uh, and you can, these are available on the IHS, okay? So it's not some fancy thing. So those are, so HRT, um, it's now been shown that actually doing the estrogen through the skin is a good version. And then you must always have the progesterone unless you've had a hysterectomy. You must always have those 
uh, two things together. Why, why is that? Why is if you've had a hysterectomy, why is it you don't have to have progesterone? Just from a science perspective. Well, because uh, the reason you have to sort of it's they're like yin and yang, if you will, right? And so if you take estrogen by itself, then there could be a risk that it would not be great for the uterine lining because the uterine lining would just get thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. You see, so that's why. But actually, you make a very good point. So that's the science behind it. But actually, from a sort of a hormone, from what your body likes to see, right? If you've had a hysterectomy, you'd still have your ovaries in place. So you're actually, your body's been used to seeing um, progesterone. So actually, a slight argument, and this is not, this is just my opinion, by the way, what I'm going to say next, is that actually women with hysterectomy, um, I had a, a woman who I said, well, listen, you're taking the estrogen. I know you don't need to take the progesterone because you haven't got a wound, but why don't you? Because you might feel better because that's what your body's used to. And actually it did work. So, but those are, those are, those are sort of the guidelines. And then I think the other thing we should probably talk about is, uh, you know, the risks of HRT, because, again, that's been a lot in the media recently, hasn't it? Um, And I advise everybody, and you can read it, the vice president of the Royal College of Obstetrics Gynecology wrote an excellent article um, in uh, the British Medical Journal. And uh, this was when she said treat women as, as individuals, not statistics. And, um, you know, there was a lot of scaremongering again about the breast cancer. And she said, we have to put this in perspective that there is a we have to be honest, there is a slight increase in breast cancer if you take HRT. But it's six times more a risk of breast cancer if you are overweight, you're not exercising, you're smoking, you're drinking. So in the grand scheme of things, actually, it's not. It's a Mm. a small risk, but it's not big. And the other thing is that um, by taking HRT, uh, as you'll see in the article she wrote, it actually decreases your overall mortality. In other words, your risk of dying. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because when we when we we reach the menopause and our estrogen stops, um, our risk of having a heart attack then actually equals that of men. Right. Um, I, I, thought, I, I thought you meant the risk of dying that someone would kill you because your moods are so bad. Someone could be given the one of your family could think you just totally lost it. Yeah, I've um, had enough. But, it. <laughs> but uh, you know, re- the men, you we spoke about you know the ris- what what are the bad consequences of going through the, of having menopause? I mean, we can't stop it, but it's this heart, uh, uh, and we know that if you take HRT, it actually reduces your risk of having a heart attack. It's like, well, that sounds pretty good. So, you know, actually, it is, uh, there are lots of positives for it, but it's every person, woman's uh, choice, okay? And so you've got to weigh it up for yourself and you've got to look and decide, you know, uh, but I I would, but if your symptoms, but ultimately, you know, as as she said uh, in this article, it's the quality of life. It's not that we're just, oh, we're trying to live longer. I mean, I guess that would be nice, but, you know, it's how we live longer. Are we going to you know, have a good quality of life. And that's really the main argument, I would say, for HRT. Certainly, you know, I was just, yeah, I told you about my mood swings and, and just hot flushes and just feeling pretty flipping miserable. And then, um, you know, and then I started HRT and actually I, I could function again. <laughs> I could be a bit more normal. Does it so would have you... an effect on athletes, HRT? So, you know, if you were, an, I don't know, like a top level endurance athlete and you're in your sort of 40s, 50s, you've, you know that you started menopause, you've been having problems with perimenopause, 
is there medical advice that says it would be better to have HRT or is there advice that says that you should kind of this sounds awful like I'm some sort of legend but push on through it like a woman would well no why would you <laughs> well listen again I don't want to force people I don't want people to come away and saying oh that doctor was telling us we should all have HRT I'm just trying to be as objective as possible um, from the evidence from the Royal College of Obstetrics Gynecologists also I have to say slight from my own personal uh, experience but um, you know why would you why would you risk uh, underperforming uh, you know if actually uh, having uh, restoring your normal levels of hormones are going to help you right mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's like and by the way it's not on the water ban list so you know <laughs> so um, as an athlete I think that probably it puts even more strength of argument to saying at least give it a try listen yeah. you know what have you got to lose if actually you think well it didn't make a big difference or I don't know whatever it is then fine but it's it would be a shame not to have have tried because there is this window of opportunity you see uh, when, you're on it. when you're on it you have to be on it forever or is there like a step well that's another debate theoretically the medical advice is oh maybe just for five years now we're saying ten years uh, but there isn't any absolute clarity on this. I mean, between you and me, I'm intending on taking it till <laughs> till the end. Um, this sounds so good. Yeah, exactly. I don't want you know, the, knowing what it was like without it, it's like oh, you know. I mean, I think it's you have to be you, one has to be sensible though, because now all women are offered you know uh, mammograms, right? So if you're monitoring yourself carefully you know you're you're going for your regular mammograms you're doing all you know you're having your blood pressure check you know you want know to I mean you're doing everything to look after yourself and keeping an eye on everything then you know then that actually now it becomes an, an area there isn't again there are guidelines but to be honest if you dig into why are these guidelines here it's because we honestly don't know we honestly don't mm. know um so and again it will be on the individual risk benefit if actually you're fine and all your screening tests are fine then you know what I mean. It's one of those things you you discuss with your doctor, and and they say fine. Uh, yeah, if you stay on it. So it's an individual thing again. And why? Okay, why don't we know? I'm sorry, Helen. I'll let you speak in a minute. I'm just right. on a feminist rant. <laughs> why don't we know? Is it because the statistically there are not as many studies done on women's um, uh, issues as there is with men? Like if you look up erectile dysfunction studies, there's absolutely thousands of them. But with the menopause, it seems that there's nothing that is really concrete or is that helps anybody and I know that all women are different and like you say you know treat women as individuals not statistics but ultimately there's no way you can go where you're like like an even like an NHS help page where it's like this will happen this will happen this will happen we've done studies on these people studies on people that have taken contraception their whole life that haven't that have had mental health issues that haven't that have had diabetes type 1 that haven't it just seems like there's no research at all, and it just baffles me as to why that is. The reason I'm smiling like this is because I think you probably read the book, Invisible Women, haven't oh, you? Oh, I've read that book twice. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I wrote a blog called um, Of Mice and Men, where I was quite proud of the title. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so, but, yeah, listen, what can I say? I, I'm agreeing with you, and we know that the, all the studies are, you know, based on the male physiology. I mean, part of that is uh, because women are seen as complicated 
in their hormones. Yes, they are complicated hormones. That's why I, that's why I study hormones. It's interesting, right? So it's, it is a bit of a feeble excuse. I can't, I can't defend it. And I'm trying my best, to, by the way, to, you know, which everyone's trying to redress that. But that, you're absolutely right. But that, I think, you know, uh, we could discuss well, that all night in itself. There isn't, there isn't any studies. So there is, there is someone like you on to talk to us frankly about it so that we can understand it and you're doing a wonderful job. So exactly. that's a step so forward. Think, so yes, unfortunately, that's why there isn't certainty. It's like, oh, I mean, people say, oh, five years for HRT, but then like you, I was, went to look and see, well, what's this based on? It's just some theoretical something or other. And actually, if you look at, to be fair, if you look at, uh, you know, the nice guidelines and things, actually they do saying about treating the individual. Cause if the person, you know, is totally healthy and is having all the screening, and I'm hoping this is going to be me, by the way, um, you know, I'm just going to keep taking HRT and that's it. Of course, yeah. if some, if there's another woman who maybe actually she did develop a problem or something, then of course that wouldn't be so good. So, um, there isn't an absolute rule. There's only that sort of guidance. But yeah, I'll keep you. I'll let you know. <laughs> we'll stay in touch in the next couple of you know, whatever many years, and, and I'll let you know how it goes. Because <laughs> with um, would you start it then in the perimenopause, or would it be once you hit the menopause? Well, that is also another great area. Again, I was checking the nice guidelines. Um, you know, uh, and if your periods. I mean, if your periods stop, right, the the old definition of the menopause was, oh, wait, your periods have stopped for 12 months and now you can take HRT. It's like, hold on a second. That's going to be exactly the time when it's going to be, if you aren't going to have problems, it's going to be then. Mm. Um, so now there is a little bit more of a flexible approach, if I can put it that way. If you are having a lot of symptoms and you're, the, you're over 45, it kind of like, well, we pretty much know that this is it. Assuming that you, you know, you, uh, the thyroid or out vitamin D, but you know, so now there is a change to, uh, you know, for women to ask for it sooner rather than having to wait there twiddling their thumbs. It's like, okay, fine. Now it's 12 months. Now I can have it. In the meantime, they've been going through health for 12 months. So it makes no sense, does it? So there is, um, so yes, it can, it can be based on symptoms. Okay. If you're really struggling. Uh, symptoms and you're over 45, then actually, uh, now there is, uh, the nice say, yes, you can be talking about HRT. And would it be a fixed dose of, you know, estrogen per kilogram of body weight or is it kind of micro dose based on the levels in your blood already or? Mm -hmm. Good question. It's actually, it's titrated according to your symptoms. So you start off as a, the lowest thing, right? For example, a gel one milligram. It is, a, it is a little, when I say guesswork, that's too strong a term, but it is like, it's sort of, you try to estimate, dose. It? Yeah. yeah, so you start the lowest dose that there is, right, with the estrogen and the progesterone. It's the, the sort of rule of medicine, always give the minimum possible. And mm. then if the symptoms, if your symptoms is like, for me, it was like, fine, thank you, I'm done. <laughs> uh, you know, that's good. But obviously, if the person, you know, is still really struggling with some of the symptoms we mentioned, then then one will gradually increase the estrogen uh, component of it uh, in general terms. Okay, so so that that's that's kind of how it works. And in terms of monitoring it, it's it's literally on symptoms. Um, you can do a blood test, but the thing is, if you do a blood test, then it's 
certainly my clinical experience with the transdermal estrogen is actually you get really high results back, right? Because it's, it's, you know, so actually it's recommended not to monitor it on blood tests, but just on symptoms um, when you start on HRT. And it could then a you know, do periods just continue indefinitely potentially then with this or would this also could it extend the potential range in which a, a woman could have a child? Um, no, the HRT it's it's the ovaries don't respond anymore. Okay, so the HRT is just replacing what the ovaries won't make anymore. Okay, so it's it's not to do with fertility, mm. uh, right? So um yeah uh, that that's uh yeah and um you mentioned that you, sh you shouldn't be doing this really if you've had if you're at high risk of developing breast cancer are there any alternative hormones or similar that can be used for for people in those circumstances yes well i've got a, a friend uh, who uh yeah she fortunately you know she had breast cancer but she's actually on an anti-estrogen probably people have heard of it tamoxifen so actually for her um she can't take hrt she wished she could by the way <laughs> when she sees me springing around the the dance studio but i uh, know anyway so you know yes there are alternatives for those sorts of um those people who in whom it's contraindicated or for whatever reason they just make a personal choice it's not for them or whatever um, and so there are some herbal um, uh, suggestions. Um, there's the so-called, uh, the things that you, isoflavonoids, uh, which you get in like soy, legumes and things like that. There's also St. John's wort. Uh, and also a thing, I wrote it down because I thought I might, wouldn't be able to pronounce it properly. <laughs> Black cohosh. I hope I said that right. So those are things, but the thing is, and those are herbal things, but the only problem is, and you can see this on the NICE guidelines, it does warn us that these are not regulated medications. So you can do your homework and make sure it's got this trademark saying traditional herb uh, mm. registration mark. So you can do your best to, you know, but to, to be aware. And actually, you know, again, like with these things, there's some mixed reports. I think this is an individual thing. Some people say, oh, this is fantastic, got rid of the hot. A flush is brilliant and others say well actually that was didn't do anything so those are some alternatives um and also i think i mentioned already that there's uh, from a diet point of view having omega-3 oily fish and b6 but there's a paper saying that that can help with hot flushes so there are some other things and also actually my friend um you know things like acupuncture it works for some uh i'm a i'm a sort of a person where acupuncture doesn't work I don't know. They, you know, I maybe it was. I'm not. I'm not a believer. I don't know. This is for. This wasn't. This was for uh, my hip problem. Anyway, you're um, like me with yoga. Yoga doesn't work on me. It just makes. Yeah, you know, so for me, acupuncture didn't work. Yet my mother, she had it for her shoulder joint, and it was magic. So again, it will depend on the individual. But these are alternatives you can look into. Um, you know, there's even uh, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy, things like that, to try and you know, come to terms with the, if, if you can't take HRT, come to terms with the symptoms or whatever. And sometimes, uh, you know, there are some other medications that doctors can give you, although it does say on the NICE, it doesn't re recommend taking, uh, prescribing antidepressants unless the person is, has got a mental health I was, issue. I was actually going to ask you, my dogs are growling, sorry. I was actually going to ask you, 
antidepressants like is that something that could possibly help with the mood if people aren't on them already but well there's two options if people are already on them and are going through the menopause and having these problems okay. but then people that don't want to take hrt and maybe think if i take antidepressants it'll make me feel better is are they complete two completely different things well if you've already got a pre-existing uh, condition you're taking antidepressants obviously carry on um but if you look at the nice guidelines it actually says it doesn't recommend that that is the you know the first line uh, right uh, it actually recommends and there's another medication uh, clonidine it's not an antidepressant but so there are some prescription options um but for that you'd have to obviously you know discuss with your gp but actually the, the nice guidelines wasn't sort of saying we should all rush off and get Prozac or something all uh, right so yeah. um but but of course it's one uh, where the individual thing it does we have to take that into account as well do you think that um uh, for example, say you have someone that's like, I definitely don't want to take HRT. I've got a history of breast cancer in my family. Yeah, yeah. Do you think exercise actually helps um, people get into menopause? Yeah, because by you, the way, you would recommend that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm assuming that, that you're, that, you know, the listeners, you're already active as well. But absolutely. Half of them we, are really active and half of them do absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, well, you've got a good spread. <laughs> okay, but this is the time to start, right? In the build-up before, right? Because anyway... Doing exercise, you know, it really helps, um, you know, mental health, especially in these times now that's so weird. You know, doing just, or you know, you don't have to do some formal thing. There was another excellent study from Australia showing that if you, you know, give people a set thing, like you do this yoga exercise <laughs> or something, actually, you know, afterwards they would splurge out and eat not such good food. Whereas if you gave them a choice to what you enjoy exercise, guess what? You're right. And this yeah. is my experience as a doctor um, trying to encourage people to do exercise. Um, I don't prescribe you have to do 10 sit-ups or I don't know, whatever it is. So find something that you enjoy. If possible, something that's outside, right? Uh, and actually, I was just looking at a quote from Hippocrates the other day. He said a lot of good things, that guy. And one of the <laughs> things he said that if you're in a bad mood, go for a walk. He said, oh, if yeah. you're still in a bad, bad mood, go for another walk. So, um, you know what I mean? So absolutely exercise what you enjoy. That's the crucial thing, what you enjoy. We do have some members of the group who've um, asked questions around, well, not asked questions, but commented that they are going through menopause or perimenopause, and they're finding that some, for some of them it's because their performance is, isn't as good as it used to be, and I think that's not just a menopause, it's also an age and experience yeah, and how often you train things. But, but they're basically completely like losing the motivation. And because when they go out, they just feel so rubbish, it makes them not want to do it anymore, um, which I think is incredibly sad because it's, it's like the mental health thing where you go out, you feel depressed, and you're like, well, what's the point of me doing this? Other days you go out and you feel euphoric, but you know you've just got to keep going forward. So yeah. what's your advice to those people? I, I think mix it up, right? Uh, you know, I get told off by my eldest son for being such an age grouper because when I do go swimming, I always do the same session. Um, but I agree. But, you know, trying to it, you should be mixing it up anyway because of the body composition will be changing as we get old. This is men and women, but, you know, especially women. So actually try and mix it up. You know, if you're getting like you're getting in a rut and you can't find the motivation, um, maybe try something different. So if it is, for example, you were going for a run normally, why don't you instead of doing the run, just go for a walk? 
and just look around or get on your bike or I know you can't go to the swimming pool now, but you know, do something different. Okay. Yeah. And certainly we know that doing some sort of strength and conditioning, uh, as we get older is really important because our body composition changes, right? So again, another thing I'm always being told to do, <laughs> do my resistance exercises. Uh, I'm a Pilates teacher and I've got some, in my studio, I've got some resistance bands and stuff. So, um, I would say, Exercise, yeah, try, if you're lacking that motivation, try something a little bit different. Do something different, okay? Um, that would be my advice, but definitely we know exercise is, is good from the mental health point of view, and especially if you're also having to contend with, you know, changes in the hormones occurring around the menopause. You know, there's so many good reasons uh, for that. And, and in terms of, because what was really useful with um, Verini, and I realised you know, she's an expert in ultras and things, but it, for, for the, the individuals who are wanting to train hard and you know, are struggling, are there physiological um, differences in training for something that's shorter and faster, like more power-based over ultras that would suit someone who's going through this at the moment like, are there some distances you because it it w would it make more sense to go for short races or for long races or to train for you know, those types of events mm -hmm. in these years well certainly um i've got there's a very good book by uh, joe friel you know the triathlon uh, guru um mm. and it's called um faster after 50 that my son bought for my husband my my husband's a master cyclist um, and actually in there, he says that as you get older, the thing we're going to talk about training in a minute, but the thing that's crucial is you need more recovery, right? So actually, before we even talk about the type of exercise, factoring in more recovery, you need more recovery because guess what? Your hormones are lower. Your growth hormone isn't as high as it used to be. And so actually you need more time for your hormones. Remember the hormones drive your adaptations to change. So actually starting at it from that point of view, you need more recovery, right? So maybe you're having one rest day a week. Maybe actually you need two. And the other thing he makes a very important point about is, yes, do some intensity, okay? Um, mixing it up. I mean, we should be doing polarized training, shouldn't we? But, um, you know, if you're like me and just always do the same swimming session. Anyway, so you should be doing some more polarized training. So actually you should be putting some more in intensity into it. Um, and the strength and conditioning we've already mentioned. And the other thing that will help all of this is protein intake. Very interesting study in older men, uh, and they got them to do, and when I say old, I think I can genuinely say old. I think they were all in their 70s, right? And they were matched up with some 20-year-olds. And the older guys, they put them on a resistance training program. Nothing like, you know, just a, some weights. Um, I can't, I think it was three times a week maybe. And also they um, took pre-sleep protein and guess what at the end of that study period i think it was two months i want to say their muscle fiber content was comparable to the 20 year old would you imagine can you believe it i so, believe it because i eat i drink chocolate milk all the time exactly. <laughs> we love it we love it so, yeah so i think the simple answer to your question and this is men and women by the way you know as we start to get older i can say that now because i as i you know Children remind me I'm very old, but, uh, you know, definitely uh, more recovery, more uh, mixing it up, more resistance exercise, more intensity, more polarized training, more protein intake after the anabolic stimulus, and then you're good to go.
Can I ask and a strange if, question, even though I'm not one? What about vegans when it comes to menopause? Because so many people have gone vegan or live in plant-based diets, and you're saying, you know, oily fish, um, mm -hmm. get your vitamins, get your protein in, your bones, you know, your bones are at risk, and so there's a lot, quite a lack, of, a lack of calcium in a lot of vegan diets. I just think to myself, what's going to happen to all these people that have been vegan for the last, you know, 20 years, some of them longer than that, when it's become like this big, crazed thing to do? Is there anything that people that are vegan and going through menopause can do to kind of help themselves? I've got to be careful what I say. Is there a vegan secret that we don't know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Desperately anti-vegan. Uh, it's like, you know, I know vegans are very like, you know, that's, that's great and I don't want to recognize uh, any of them, but... Uh, you know, it is more challenging, should we say? Let, I mean, let's, call them, let's call them plant-based. Plant-based. Choose a plant-based diet. I mean, I think Rini's probably addressed this already. It's just very, very difficult. Uh, I mean, as you know, uh, Rini herself is vegetarian, so you know it's possible. But oh, vegan I'm vegetarian, is and but I guess yeah, yeah, so you're right. Yeah, vegan, it's yeah. very, very challenging to get in enough good quality protein and enough energy. I mean, that's why cows eat grass all day because you know what I mean. It's like you it's 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 challenging so i think that um you just well listen you're just putting giving yourself a, a really really extra big challenge in my opinion but again i'm not trying to convert people to you know oh, it's, uh, it's like everything is someone's choice right if we if women want to take it's HRT, choice, that's it's our choice. Choice. It's like exactly yeah. it's your choice if you don't want to take hrt it's your choice if you want to remain vegan but it's it's just basically it's it's i have to we have to be frank and say it's going to be a lot harder to um, keep on top of all the, all, the, all of this, and you're going to have to take loads of supplements. If you know what well, you're hopefully you're, you are already, you have to. And so it's just it's just like an, another thing. So I, I'm sure that it is possible, but it's just like seems like an extra challenge to me. But um, there you go. Because <laughs> I've, I've got a, quite a few questions on previous things you've mentioned. One of them is to do. You mentioned how as you age, it does take longer to recover. Yep. Um, and and you you don't necessarily respond as quickly as well. Right. Does that mean that we should be really extending if we are following training plans? Then we need to to train for longer for big races, really. Yes, well, you definitely need to be modifying your training plans, whatever they are, as we get older. Full stop. Right. Um, with more emphasis on recovery, with more emphasis on the polarized training, the, the strength conditioning, you have to fact that, that, that in. So yes, I guess you have, and that means not just the sort of what, you, you know, all the micro and the macro and the, the meso, sorry, it's micro, meso, macro, isn't it? So, you know, all the different phases of training, yes, you do have to change. But listen, this is not, of course, because, you know, from, uh, how a teenager trains or a child, it changes. So it's, it's, you know, it, it, it changes. You wouldn't expect that, a, you know, a 10-year-old will be training the same as a 30-year-old. And you wouldn't expect that a 50-year-old, it kind of makes common sense. So you do have to go with your physiology. So absolutely, I think the, in the, the short and the longer term, you'd have to be planning it out more. Um, something else as well that is, we said at the beginning, near the beginning, that it, a lot of it was based on, well, it could be based on DNA when your perimenopause uh, yeah. starts, when the, the menopause starts. Um, are, do, do we know of any other life factors that we can control that will directly um, either trigger earlier the perimenopause or potentially delay it? 
Um, listen, no, not really. Um, I think that, of course, if you've had a medical intervention, a so-called medical menopause, you know, like some poor women that have had to have cancer, you know, treatment for cancer or, or you know, all these sorts of things, then obviously that's out of their control. But I have to say, the thing is that the body has got this amazing internal clock, right? And so much as we might wish that we could reset it, I don't think it's actually possible. But I think in general terms, like we discussed, being as healthy as possible means that you will come to meet this uh, physiological challenge in the best possible situation. So, you know, if you're not already, get some exercise in. If you're not already, make sure you're eating a varied diet. You know, if you're not already, make sure you're getting in plenty of sleep. So do everything you possibly can uh, to put yourself in a, the best possible situation to meet this new phase in your life. Now, uh, we've got a quite, quite a few questions. One of them is it's very specific, so I'll, I'll just read it word for word. Uh, could you ask Nikki about cystic acne and what role hormones play in that? And how long after regaining your cycle from reds does it take for the body's hormones to fully regulate? So I guess there's two two questions there. Um, well, cystic acne, it can be due to high levels of uh, testosterone in a woman. So it could be um, could be PCOS or if the, in the specific case of someone recovering from reds, right, there is often a phase where the hormones are a bit out of whack, if I can put it like that, right, because at what they were nothing, low, and then you're starting to feel, uh, you know, more consistently. And then your hormones, you know, there's a transition phase. It's like when you're a teenager and your hormones, are, you know, your periods are first starting. So it could be linked to that. Um, so, yeah. Now, um, Sue Webster was asking about what are the implications for performance and health for postmenopause runners with low body fat? And is there any um, is there any information about how it affects weight gain? Yeah. Um, well, listen, it, the low body fat, I mean, it depends if that's as a result of reds, then obviously that's something to be considered. So, you know, when we're talking about reds, and I know Rini will have discussed this, you know, for women, the big uh, red flag or indicator is this period stopping. But obviously, when you reach the menopause, and you're going to have that sign anymore. So in some ways now, you're like equivalent to a man. We don't have that obvious sign, but there will be other. We know there are plenty of others, and I know Rini will have discussed this effects on, you know, uh, metabolism and your ability to perform, etc. So if if uh, low body fat is a consequence of being underfueled, then you need to address that. If you're just uh, so so, yeah, I think that's really. I can't. I think that's the best way to to put it. So, if you're already having regular periods um, and you're building up to the menopause and you've got low body fat for you, then actually it's showing you that your body is fine. So, if you maintain that body fat as you go into menopause, that's your normal physiology. Of course, if you then uh, reach the menopause and then you drop your body fat, then yes, that won't be a good situation because it indicates you're underfueling. Does that answer that question? Yes, yeah, so. I think so. Yeah. Um, there's a good one in here asking whether or not, um, from Pam, um, is there any connection with premature menopause, she's 41, and the onset of more GI issues, especially as a long-distance runner, and is there any specific changes she could make to her diet? 
Yeah, well, that's uh, thanks for that question. That's very interesting. I mean, uh, we talked about hormones having effects throughout the body, and one of the effects is estrogen on the gut. And when Rini was talking about reds, I'm sure she highlighted the fact that lots of women whose periods have stopped as a result of reds present with gastric problems, and that can be very problematic. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and and if you're a long-distance runner, then that can you can often have gut issues as well. So it's it's the old favorite of retraining the gut, um, you know, just finding out what works for you. Um, and, um, you know, I'm presuming uh, the question if, if the – the runner's already considered or, or dismissed or is taking HRT because that, um, you know, could potentially help. But obviously, again, we're not in the business of forcing people to take HRT, but uh, consider it. Um, but just sort of just find out what's going to work for you. Excellent. And one more. Um, what's the main symptomatic complaint from female runners going through menopause? That's from our, our good friend Imogen. What's the big What's the big thing that they're like? I think I'm going through menopause because this happens. Well, when I just run. not not just not being able to perform very well. Yeah, I had a. Um, you know, sometimes it can be tricky because if you've got a marina coil in, for example, you won't have any withdrawal. You won't have any uh, bleeds, any periods. So you won't know when you go through the menopause. So, um, you know, if you're, I had a runner who came and it's like, oh, I just haven't got the, the motivation. I just can't, I don't want to train. I can't train very well, et cetera. And so we did the blood test. It's like, well, no wonder <laughs> you're mm-hmm. going through the menopause. So, you know, um, that is, uh, you know, a recognized thing that happens because your hormones have just, you know, really, really changed. But again, don't beat yourself up. You know, it's like if you know that that's the reason, because in these cases, it's like that's why you're not feeling, uh, you know, your usual self. So Is it as that, the can, you, can you literally go to the doctor and be like, hey, man, I don't feel great. I'm, I run every day. This is happening. And they'll give you a blood test and say to you, you are going through the menopause. Well, if you have had the menopause, this is now where we get into a little bit of controversy because a single blood test. And it's true because it's an intermittent fold, like we said. A single blood test won't be definitive. Um, and you've got, you know, obviously if you go and if, but if you're the right age, I mean, in the age when we think menopause might, you know, perimenopause, menopause might be happening and you're getting these symptoms that we've discussed. Uh, I mean, the other option is, um, that we are developing a way of testing women going through the menopause, um, at the blood testing company, Fourth Edge which is really, really exciting. And I've trialed this uh, a little bit already. So that's the best way because you act, really you want to see what your hormones are doing, not just a one-off blood test. You might have caught it on a good day, a bad day. Who knows? So um, so going to the GP, I agree, going to your GP and saying that, as you're probably not going to get a lot of joy, to be absolutely honest with you. Um, <laughs> uh, but making a note of it yourself, being aware of it and making your diary. And if you want to get in contact with me or Fourth Edge, because we're developing this new way to help women. Now, uh, Rebecca's asked, she said how, uh, I'd like to know about how any unusual menopause advice would be affected by the marina coil mm-hmm. and ostradiol from a joint pain and the menopause. Should I really increase my flexibility work? Right. So is is this is this person in menopause? I didn't quite understand the question. Um, she's got the marina she, court. So it's the one like we discussed yeah. now. You wouldn't know if you're having periods, but she says she's taking estradiol. So she is on HRT. Is that the question? 
I don't know, I'm afraid. No, um, that's, all, that's literally all the question says. Okay, yeah, so the, it sounds like that is HRT, if she's on the marina call and she's taking estradiol. Sounds like HRT, sounds like it's already the menopause. So that's great for, for if she's on an HRT. If the question is, I've got the marina coil, well, I think that's how I'm going to interpret that. Well, so, one, one of the, the bits at the end, she does say, um, Dash, should I really increase my flexibility work? So it's it implies someone's recommended that she does that. Okay. Um, I mean, listen, you know, the five components of fitness, we should be including flexibility in that. So, you know, cardiovascular, muscular strength and endurance. Uh, flexibility in neuromuscular skills. So in general terms, um, you should always be doing some uh, flexibility. And here's another fun one. Um, alcohol and menopause. So Anya, <laughs> who's our little buddy from Club Soda, um, apparently a lot of people ask about this, about if alcohol has a bad effect on menopause. And you're a doctor, so I know what you're going to say. And I'm looking at the glass of rosé in front of me. And I'm really <laughs> thinking, I'll drink this squash instead. No, listen, I think we have to be sensible. Do you know what I mean? Let's just be sure. I'm not going to go and say, you know, down a whole bottle of gin or something. But on the other hand, I think uh, there's no, again, it's not, there's no strong evidence to say but it depends on your reaction to alcohol as well. If actually you drink, you know, you're, you tend to, you know, sometimes people get flushed when they drink alcohol, right? Yeah. So obviously if that's your case and you're going through the menopause, probably it's not a great idea, right? So yeah. in moderation, in moderation, you know what I mean? It doesn't uh, have like a terrible, a terrible No, 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 it's what you bad. normally do. It's what you normally, well, I'm hoping that people are, are doing it in moderation, but, you know, so... <laughs> So if you're used to drinking heavily your whole well, life. Well, listen, I don't know, I've really <laughs> opened up a whole thing. You get the gist of what I'm saying. I, there isn't, just because it's suddenly being a, deciding to never, you know, be teetotal, I can't. So what you're saying is, and on the cocaine my whole life, I shouldn't stop now. Okay? Yeah. And just keep taking the smack. That's fine. All right, right. we'll leave it at that, I think. Um, I actually have a question. Um, this is a hilarious question, and lots of people are going to go, what? I can't believe you just said that. If I had HRT, would it stop me growing long black hairs out of my face, which seems to occur mm. more often as I get older? Not just your face. Not just with, oh no, well, you know, that's been having the But you know when you get like, you're like, you're like, I'm an old woman now, like hairs are sprouting out of areas that never did before. Like, yeah. is that to do with it or is that just like a getting old thing? I don't, listen, I, I haven't got a definitive thing, but this is a, so this is just my opinion. Um, uh-huh. but you know, when women go through the menopause, the ovaries don't work anymore. So the adrenal glands try and take over and start producing some, some estrogen type stuff, if I can put it that, that, that way, steroid hormones. And, uh, cause well, you do notice older women do tend to get more, uh, facial hair, don't they? Not so that much it, older, Nikki. Not no, that no, no, much no, older. I'm not saying you. I'm not saying <laughs> no, no, you. It I'm is just, me. <laughs> no, I'm thinking more my mother, actually. You know, she's 80. Anyway, so, um, listen, I think the thing is, uh, it could be, but we can't be t- uh, sure. But I think that, you know, all I can, I'm just going on the fact that, you know, the body is using estrogen and, and progesterone. So if you give it, you know, some HRT, then actually it's going to just keep the, the hormones stable as, as they have been. So yeah. just on basic first principles. But that sounds like, that sounds like a whole sort of study in itself, right? It's <laughs> one of those things that people never talk about. Like women never talk about it. And I'm like, well, it no, happens. No, no, hair growth. Exactly. No, hair yeah. growth everywhere. 
you've got vaginal dryness, you're in a mood with everyone all the time. It's what happens to everybody should just talk about it. That's my the whole holy thing. trinity. Holy the trinity. Holy trinity yeah, of yeah. being a hot woman. <laughs> hot flushing no, woman. No, Annie um Annie said she had an a, a emergency hysterectomy eight years ago and mm. now she feels permanently premenstrual. Um and it's you know constant lethargy lethargy um and really struggling to run because it often just feels too hard but the doctors aren't doing anything as her blood tests aren't showing that she's fully menopausal even though she has a lot of the symptoms so she was wondering if is there somewhere else she can go to get help or is there something else she can do to to try and potentially counteract how she's feeling so she's she's had a hysterectomy. I'm presuming mm. the ovaries were left in then um, because they've done a blood test to say that she's not menopausal. And do we did you say her age? Um, um, how many? I'd say uh, don't slap me at Annie next time you see me in case I'm wrong. I I'd, I'd <laughs> say she's probably could be late late uh, yeah, probably about Sorry, forty. But, yeah, 42, 45, I'd well, say. That, well, that would be the age of perimenopause, couldn't it? So I think, like we said, that perimenopause now um, is not just on the blood test, it's on the symptoms. So I think actually she should go back and revisit that if she is of the age in the 40s, you see, and she's got lots she, of symptoms. She potentially could be younger. Um, it was a very uh, distant yes. Skype call. Well, that, we that, had, would be, so. that would be my, that would be my advice. If if you are of a of the in that age group and you've got the symptoms like we discussed it's on symptoms right not just the mm. blood test so you know again doing a blood test and saying oh you know you're not <laughs> your ovaries are still trying to work it's not that really helpful uh, right so uh, but again if she looks at the nice guidelines that's actually you know that's quite um helpful it says uh, that for hysterectomy women who's had a hysterectomy it's more on symptoms so I think she should go in and have another chat with whoever, the GP or whatever. And is, I don't know how how uh, sensitive doctors can be about this. It, it, could it be a case that she needs to almost speak to a different doctor or are most doctors receptive if you challenge them? On, well, listen, uh, I, wouldn't, I would, wouldn't use the word challenge. I would use the word you're going in as an informed patient. OK. Mm. Right. So if you go in and say, look, and if you say, look, this is really affecting my quality of life. Uh, and, you know, I understand that, uh, you know. Uh, listen, the nice guidelines are open access. So do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, you're not allowed to look at those. You know, I think we've gone past that. So that would be my advice. Uh, be an informed patient. Don't challenge a doctor because, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't mind. Uh, you know, but some doctors do get a little bit, you know, I'm the boss here. So, so just uh, just go in for another discussion. And if if what whoever the doctor was wasn't uh, that helpful, then yes, uh, you can always ask which which GP you see. So uh, try a different tack like that. Then um, Paul has asked whether could joint pain be um, yes a sign very of good naked? yes I didn't I didn't thank you for uh, mentioning that Paul I didn't say that specifically but you're right you know uh, sort of the neuromuscular system in general so yeah get, being a bit more achy than normal uh, could be a sign yes and then um, I won't read the name on this one but it's it's almost a, a slight cry for help where she's just saying that she's been completely utterly depressed, has zero energy um, from the time of ovulation until her period starts. Um, and 
she was wondering if you could recommend anything to potentially make that more bearable. It sounds like premenstrual syndrome to me. So um, if she's having periods and it's in the two months before, I mean two weeks, sorry, <laughs> two weeks before the period, that sounds like premenstrual. Um, uh, and if actually, if you have a look on the Royal College Obstetrics Gynecology, by the way, four places to look for information. Nice guidelines. Uh, Royal College Obstetrics Gynecology, and you can type in whatever it is, you know, menopause, uh, premenstrual, but um, premenstrual, there's good evidence to show that actually vitamin D, I'm surprised about that, uh, can help premenstrual. So if, if the, this person is not already taking that, do so. Um, uh, and I'm just trying to, uh, so yeah, actually vitamin D, and there was also, a, uh, there was a herbal thing. Um, I think it was chaseberry or something like this. Right. But so try those things. But have a look. It sounds like premenstrual syndrome to me. Um, and have a look at the Royal College Obstetrics Gynecology. Just type it in uh, premenstrual. But whenever you're looking for information, please look at good, reliable sites. OK, so mm. don't try to avoid just in Google in general. All right. Try to avoid um, Daily Mail online and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> try, try, but listen, the, these are the nice webs, the nice guidelines are actually pretty darn good, understandable. So type that in, and also the Royal College of Obstetrics, Gynecology. Is that NICE nice? Yes, nice, right? Okay. The National Institute of Clinical Excellence. Anyone can look at it. Um, it's actually very, pretty good. Um, also the Royal College of Obstetrics, Gynecology. Just type that in, uh, and that's really good information for patients and doctors, by the way. Um, there's also the British Menopause Society, if we're talking about menopause. Um, so, you know, make sure you're looking at good, good, reliable sites would be my uh, recommendation. So, I mean, it sounds, uh, just to, I guess to recap, it sounds as if you're uh, a proponent of hormone replacement therapy for people um, that you need to increase your protein, increase your strength training, yep. be more flexible in in, in what your training is each day and that it, it might just be a bad day to do the session you thought you were going to do and to exactly. be open to change. And more, recovery. more recovery. More recovery and therefore longer training periods um, coming up to big races. Yeah. Anything else you'd say is a, a good advice for anyone who's looking to power, power on in the, the racing schedules? I've actually, actually, just to follow on from that, Helen, any advice to men who have lovely wives <laughs> or girlfriends that they love and maybe going through this themselves and maybe having issues with it? It's the same kind of thing. You're, you're kind of like your last lines on how to deal with it. Well, yes, this is it is a, literally in all senses a team effort, you know. Um, and so I'm, you know, uh, I'm hoping some men are listening to this and, you know, um, that, you know, uh, yeah, women's hormones do change. What can I say? So, you know, don't just try and be supportive, right? <laughs> All right, and bear with it, you know. Uh, so that's something. Oh, I was going to say something there. Oh, yeah, I wanted to also finish on a positive. Mm. That um, there's, you know, I have a slide that I often show when I'm talking about Masters Athletes. And it's a great slide because it shows that actually, yes, we do get a bit slower. But actually, it only really starts to get slower, slower when you're like about 80 or something, right? So, you know, please be positive and continue doing what it might be. It slightly has to change, like we discussed. But, you know, don't think, oh, this is 
you know, oh, that's it, that's that, that's me finished. When if you reach, so, you can enjoy it more. You can exactly. enjoy it more when you're just taking it easy. Like I think there's a difference between being a competitive athlete and with this podcast, you get you've got a lot of recreational runners. I think they worry mm. that they'll have to stop and they won't be able to do it anymore. And I think, and I'm completely with you. Like as an endurance runner. AKA lazy and slow. I like to just like take it in and just like chill out. And I'm kind of enjoying, I enjoy the fact that some days I go out and yeah. I, and I think, you know, I'm going to real, really give it some effort today. And I'm like, no, it's a nice day or it's snowing or the sun's exactly. out. I'm going to walk up this hill. And as long as people can still do that into their eighties. Exactly. So, and it's the enjoyment. It's the enjoyment, right? So that's really the thing to focus on. It doesn't mean this is the end of the life as you know. It's just a different phase in your life. And actually having the taking the opportunity to reevaluate, are you doing this because you enjoy it? Right? Or are you just forcing yourself to do whatever? And and you know, listen, it's never too late to try something different. And your likelihood of Olympic selection when you've hit menopause, if you've not been selected for the Olympics already, is quite low, right? <laughs> yeah, being realistic is the other thing. Yeah, it's exactly. your expectations, guys. <laughs> uh, and I just remembered one other question I had, because I, I remember Rini when she was talking about training to um, to periods was that your, your hormone rates would go up and down, yep. and it was cyclical balance between the two. Is that true of when you have hormone replacement therapy? Do you have your um, your patches on different days? And therefore, should you do your training in a cyclical sense, similar to how you would have done when you're training to periods? It will depend on the type of uh, hormone replacement therapy. There's the version where you just take the same dose all the time and you don't get mm. any bleeds. So you take the same level of um, estrogen and progesterone like that. Right. Or there's a thing that's called sequential, which is a bit like you described, a kind of a mimic of your own periods. Uh, so in some ways, this should be really make it exciting. You have an option. You have an option to control <laughs> your female hormones. You can either have them all the same all the time with the continuous HRT or you can do the cyclical thing and sort of kind of mimic a cycle. So, wow, extra flexibility. <laughs> and you, and we've we've mentioned about the NHS quite a bit. We've got quite a lot of international listeners, though. Do you know is the choice available and the pricing of um, the different options in HRT? Do you know if most things are within reach for people in the Western world, and whether there are, is any advice on what to be reaching for? I, I listen. That's a difficult question. I believe so. I mean, for example, I work with some athletes in America and uh, Australia and New Zealand. So, yeah, HRT and actually some of the brands are exactly the same, right? Mm. So, I'm sh- so yeah, obviously the exact uh, healthcare systems are different, but the actual uh, products or, yeah, the medications are the same, universal. Um, and, I mean, it's a personal choice that we keep saying, but... For me, I wanted to have HRT that was as similar as possible to what I produced myself or had been. Mm. So that's why I went for the estradiol gel because it was exactly exact the same molecule as I've been seeing. And also the progesterone, uh, there's a certain type of progesterone, microionized progesterone, which I know for a fact is available worldwide. Uh, um, and that's, and I opted for that one. So be, 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 uh, what's this word? Uh, what's the word? Uh, not a connoisseur. What do you see? A discerning, a discerning, discerning, yeah. be a discerning, uh, 
you know, a uh, woman and do your homework and see and look up particularly those, those types of HRT. And then, um, yeah, my story was I'd done my research like this and I'd identified that I wanted this and this, right? Uh-huh. The gel and the uterogestan. So I went to the GP, brilliant GP practice. My brain is brilliant. Um, but I thought I won't be biased. I'll go and see my male GP because he's, he's excellent, right? And he was actually really, really nice. And, um, you know, he said, yeah, sure, I understand. Yeah, HRT, fine. And I said, oh, well, actually, could I have this and this? And he was like, um, <laughs> but, you know, I would, but I think that, you know, if you do your homework, when we said don't challenge your G, you listen, if you've done your homework, they're going to find it easy. You know, they're going to think you're a great, uh, I was an easy patient. I went in there, said, you know, this is, it's affecting my quality of life. I want HRT. He was like, fine, I agree with you. I said, actually, I prefer this and this. Fine, here's the script. You know what I mean? So uh, it's a discussion with your doctor, uh, and I think that is available worldwide. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for all your advice today. If, if people want to get in touch or to uh, – you've mentioned you're going to be bringing a book out at some point, but before then, if they want to find out more information, what's the best way for them to kind of follow you and also to, to find out more? So um, uh, I'm on website. I'm Nikki K Fitness. Okay, uh, dot com. I put blogs and stuff there. Uh, I was going to say social media, but I'm not that brilliant, but I am on social media there, Nikki K Fitness as well. Um, and also the other thing that I mentioned to just highlight is, you know, the blood test I mentioned. I'm the chief medical officer of Fourth Edge. We are, uh, do blood testing for, for athletes, um, and, uh, specifically for the, uh, the perimenopausal woman. We've developed this new exciting way of testing your hormones. So, um, yeah, get in touch and I can all go and have a look at the website. I don't think it's like fully on the website yet, mm. but so probably better to come to me. But anyway, those are the main places. Amazing. Well, thanks so much this for coming on. It's been amazing, Nikki. Like I feel okay, my like pleasure. I've honestly learned more in the last hour and a half about the menopause than I did in my whole secondary school education or life <laughs> yeah um, well well listen i'm pleased that's the, that's the important thing i'm pleased and i hope people listen to this and you know you now you now you can discuss it with friends and whatever and, you I, know, and whatever. i'm not scared of it anymore because it's like well it's not going to be like anybody else's but it is going to be okay it's going to happen so you can yeah. be prepared and yeah. do some research and look at these websites i've mentioned and and uh, you can be prepared and then yeah that's that's really the thing isn't it yeah Thank you very much. Okay, my pleasure. Ah, did that scratch you, Rich? I have learnt more from that than I did from my entire school career. (laughs) It was really, I I was really surprised that it, it seems as if the whole of um, people's expectations about the menopause and hormone replacement therapy has really been tainted by previous false studies. And that, because actually it, it seems it's relatively... Not even sim- fal- it's not even false studies. It's no studies. It's, there's, there's, there are no studies. There's just rumours. And then there's, you know, back in the olden days, I'm talking 15, 20 years ago, there was no internet, no information to anyone. So rumours spread and people just don't 
they, they, they don't have a source of information, do they? Um, and nothing is taught about this at school. I went to a girls' grammar school, mm. so it's not really false studies. It's it's the fact there is no information. But more the fear of of what hormone replacement therapy can, the impact it can have on people. And it sounds from Nikki as there are a few individuals where if you're at risk, maybe should consult a doctor, but otherwise just get it in you. Yes and no. And I think there will be people that listen to this that are like, no, 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 you can't say that. And that's fine because ultimately, it's like she says, it is the woman's choice. It's, it's, it's your own choice. It's not, like mm. a, it's, not like a, it's not like a COVID vaccine. Like you have to take the COVID vaccine and anyone thinks that they're, they're not going to is no longer my friend. You have to do that. But with this, it's, it is your choice. If you mm. think the bad, the bad outweighs the good or the potential for bad outweighs the good, that's fine. You don't have to do it. But I don't think people should be afraid of doing it. And you know, my mum got breast cancer 15, 20 years ago, and she blamed HRT on her getting it. She was like, that's the reason. That is the only reason. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And I've, and at the time, there was nowhere for me to research anything anywhere. So mm. I sort of believed her. And then as life goes on, you're like, no, actually, you know, it's, it can be pretty random. So there's a chance that I won't be able to take HRT because she had breast cancer, which has now gone away, and she's completely clear of it. But I'd like to take it because I want to be still running. And also I want my mental health to be okay. And I don't want to feel like I don't want to have something else exacerbating feeling shit about myself. So ultimately, unless unless like it, I go through menopause and I'm absolutely fine, I'll be on that HRT train at 100 miles an hour. I think particularly if you want to be an ultra runner, it's, it sounds as if without those um... – Without those hormones, it's it's such an upwards battle. And I, I never realised why scoli scoliosis existed. Um, I've in, and I've recently thought, why is it that some old people have that that bend in that hunch? Like, at what point do they stop doing stretch exercises, or do they find it acceptable? But now, now it, it makes sense now. That I know that it's, it was for some people almost unavoidable because of not having the right pheromones to be able to um, have strong bones. Yeah, but there's, there's all, that, all that stuff about bones. I didn't know any of that. Like, I'm a woman. I'm going to go through the menopause. And I'm like, what? Like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. Uh, it might not happen to me. I might go through the menopause, not even notice it, maybe, or it might be absolutely hideous. But I really am like, whoa, like, I need to make sure. And I'm terrible at looking after myself, especially when it comes to, like, oh, I just have a bit of booze or smoke a little cigarette and it's not until you actually listen to someone that knows what they're talking about that you're like jesus christ i'm i'm nearly 40 you know i'm getting gray hair and i'm like not as nice as yours mine's just like puby gray hair it's awful and it's like yeah you have to you have to look after yourself man and i want like as long i want to be able to run for as long as i can i want to be like you know hit like hillary wareham and like mimi and be doing exercise until i'm like can't do it anymore and so anything that helps me to do that i will keep doing and that's the thing there's because there's clearly you, if you look at some people that that run marathons you do have females who are running marathons in their 80s and um you know some incredibly fast older female runners i wonder whether they all have had to have hormone replacement therapy or whether um just some people have a, a better bone density and can get away with it or yeah but it'd be really intriguing to know and actually that's, that's actually, one that, that's a good study isn't it that would be a yeah. really interesting study 
Because that would be so insightful because you almost need to look at the extreme cases of individuals who are putting themselves through this impact and training repeatedly to really understand what the what the markers are and, and what's allowing them to be able to do that. Is, and is it like, if you don't want to take HRT, is your career as a runner, as an ultra runner over mm. by the time you're 55? Is that it? No more. The end. Bye bye. Like, or mm. is it not? It's just, there's so much really interesting stuff to study. If we've got, if we've got any like people that are medicine people in the BBR group who need something to study for like their doctorate, this is the mm. thing to study. <laughs> Especially as I'm sure if we put the word out, we would be able to find a large number of people who'd be willing to be involved. Um, and this was the, the main reason why we did this topic is because following the Rini episode, um, quite a few of my friends, and uh, Sarah and, and Bernie, and they were all like, "We, you know, please, 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 can you do this? Can you can you find out about menopause because it it's so." It, no one knows about it and it, it must be I can't think of anything more despairing than to be hitting an age where in society you're you're fairly badly treated as an old woman anyway and then suddenly the one thing you love that is your almost solace from um from the world that's completely in your control suddenly you can't do anymore yeah but the, th the other thing is to not be to not wonder why not that you can't do anything to not wonder why like for the last for example you start going through perimenopause, you start really not to enjoy running, you start to feel really tired, you don't want to mm. do it anymore, and it goes on for months and months. And usually you go through those humps, don't you? I go through those humps hating it, but they're only like a week, and then loving it again. And that's usually to do with just my brain. It is to do with my cycle as well, because I've been tracking that since we spoke to Rini. But to have that go on for like six or seven months, and to not know why is horrible but to know why is to go do you know what that's cool i'm gonna go today i'm gonna walk i'm gonna be real nice to myself and just walk because my body's going through this and if you know that i think it helps you to get rid of those feelings because with the feeling mm. you can't do something you used to do comes a feeling of like self-hatred and self what's wrong with me that whole thing if you know it's much easier for you to negate it and to be like this is cool this is supposed to be happening and that might make the next day better than it would otherwise be and actually, that's something where, because there's there's now starting to be training plans and training apps that will adjust towards your cycle. And actually, whether we now need to go one step further and just have a, because most of the training plans online are so rigid in the Tuesday's track, Sunday's long run. And we need someone to really look at the way of training and come up with adjustable training that can replicate all the elements that you need from a training program but where you can just switch around days and and, and that would be useful actually for people to know which days can be switched when under what and how can you adjust your training plan easily without leading to too much impact in some areas or getting overly trained at certain times and that that would be really useful to understand but also for people to build but yeah the other thing is with menopause it's not the same as going through your menstrual cycle so your menstrual cycle you feel different week on week with the menopause you're not going to feel different week on week it's happened this is how you're going to feel so you're not so you know it's not like oh i can't change that run for this one because that's the week that i'm going to have my period or that's the week pre my period it's like it's like 
just take either take the volume down or run longer when you feel better on those on those better days and it's easier for women to do that because they're the right age because they've got more freedom and they're 50 60 70 if you can change a training plan much more easy easily because you've got more time you don't have the kids you don't a lot of the time you know women can go and retire a little bit earlier um so actually yeah that's a, it's a really really good point but there is two separate things here that that's there's running during your menstrual cycle which is going to be changeable week on week and then the whole menopause thing which i don't think will be changeable week on week i was thinking more of the perimenopause where your you know your yeah, hormones fair. would shoot you know, up and we're down we're such but, um, experts now aren't we we we're are we're such womb room experts oh we should have a podcast called the womb room where we just talk about <laughs> perimenopause and menopause i think it's amazing but do better. Are there any other topics out there that are, you, you're just clueless about that would be desperately useful for you to Not understand? Not random ones, though. Not like quantum <laughs> physics or like well, or like why Ariana Grande is so popular. Nothing like that. Well, things that there can't be that many topics, can there? That actually involve so many people. No. Um, the population. But, yeah, yeah. But if there is, let us know, do Um and. Any feedback, anything useful, or we're going to have a lot of people who probably don't listen to the podcast into this episode. So if you've got anything else to share that we can share in the group with people so that they can um, you know, build on the knowledge they've got from here, just email us, letters at badboyrunning.com or, or david at badboyrunning.com, ali at badboyrunning.com, so we can, we can put that information out there for everyone. Um, don't send it, send it to ali at badboyrunning.com because it won't work. There's no such email address. I thought we'd set it up and it forwards to you. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, just quickly on this, um, I someone in my Ultra Awesome group on Facebook posted something amazing because there's women listening to this. She was talking about compression tights and how compression tights push on her stomach and so she never wears them because they're uncomfortable. She's discovered that 2XU do pregnancy compression tights that have a much wider band at the top. So even if you're not pregnant, they stretch a little bit more but still offer everything compression does, like from the leg down so she was like this has changed my life and loads of other girls came and were like oh my god this is amazing like i've bought them i've tried them and they and it has changed their life so i just wanted to flag that up in this podcast because you'll have women listening to it or even for gentlemen that are you know planning on putting on weight over the winter yep anyone really you can eat more snacks on an ultra yeah don't worry about not having that pizza just get it down yeah you'll be fine you could probably put a bag of wine down it that's, that's quite a good idea, isn't it? A way to smuggle in booze to places. Um, mm-hmm. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, do bad. As we spe- we've spoken about the Rini episode where she talks about how to adapt your training towards your menstrual, menstrual cycle. But I don't think of anything else we've talked about that's, that's similar, really. Um, hmm. Mm. Nothing's. Hmm. Those are the two, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, We've got some badass women on here, though. We've got some badass women podcasts. If you want to listen to those and get inspired. If you want a badass woman, any of the... Ronda Marie. Yeah. Ronda Marie ones are amazing. She's got 8% vision. She's done the Barclay Marathon. She's done the Vol State, all with 8% vision. Just utterly incredible. Mimi Anderson, who is the nicest woman on earth. Oh, yeah. Mimi talks about... And and actually, this... Maybe now this clicks in my mind when Mimi could no longer run because Bone of issues. yeah, suddenly it all kind of clicks into space into place, doesn't it? Uh, but mm-hmm. but she her her interview is great because actually she's honest about what failure. happened. She's honest about failure. That's brilliant. yeah, 
Yeah, and, and more people need to be. There's almost a shame attached with failure, which, which shouldn't be there, but also a, a dishonesty about the narrative of people finishing challenges and, and wanting to always put a sunny side on it, on it, whereas actually you need to tell people when to give them perspective that be careful, you know, things can go wrong and permanently. Um, but yeah, well, that's a bit of a downer to finish on. Oh, it's, oh no. a it's a positive thing. A positive thing, absolutely. Well, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do tell your friends, subscribe um, and leave us reviews. It really helps us get the attention of people coming on the podcast that helps us get better guests. Do you want to talk about the, cl- uh, the, the club, the group, the light alley? What, the running club? Yep, yep. Oh, there's a running club, everybody. It's EA affiliated <laughs> and everything. It's very good. Um, so if you want to have a look at what's going on with the running club, it's club.badboyrunning, I think, .co.uk. Um, and, and do you know what the best thing about that club is? If you join it, you get access to the Facebook group, which is verging on better than the normal Facebook group. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's got training in it every week with Lorna and Gary. It's amazing. That is true, actually. That is epic. And um, if there's any guests you'd like us to interview or any particular topics that you don't think are being covered in the the running media, then email me, david at badboyrunning.com, and we'll see if we can get it on. Well, thank you very much, Ali Bailey. Thank you very much, David Hallard. I will see you next time. I love you. Bye 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 bye